So the other day, I was thinking of a real life scenario that mm-hmm. I can only envision that it just had to go down this way. Yeah. I'm thinking there was some time in, I think it would be the early 70s, where Jim Henson and his creative team were coming up with the characters that would become the beloved Sesame Street gang, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just imagining he's got his team of designers and stuff right there, and they've created all these cool creatures for the kids. Right. And they've got to start naming these things. Okay. So one of the designers is like, all right, we got we got this little red guy. He's like a little kid. He's kind of fuzzy. He needs a name. What do you got? Elmo. Elmo, that's great. That's so fun. It's creative. Good, good, good. Let's yeah. see if we can keep some momentum going here. Mm-hmm. We got this guy who, I don't know why he's like from Brooklyn or something. No, he is, though. He probably is, though. He is, though. He lives in a garbage can. And he's green, he's nasty, he's always upset about something, but I, I don't have a name. Yeah, you know what, growing up, there was an old man on my block who was always, he was always upset, and he lived on the street. Yeah? His name was Oscar. Oscar! We called him Oscar the Grouch. Perfect. Boom. Okay, I got this little blue guy. He's right? He's kind of a goofball. He's blue, he's fuzzy. I, mm. um... Just like President Grover Cleveland, Grover. Grover it is. That's fantastic. These... <laughs> You're a creative genius. I worry we're going to run out of steam coming up with all of these great names. All right, names. who's next? Who's next? Who's I got next? This guy. Okay, this is going to be everybody's favorite. He's he's yellow. Uh-huh. He's like a, a big uh, bird. Big bird. That's kind of on the name nose, it big isn't bird. it? I feel like we... No, dad, ran, dad, name it big we bird. We just kind of ran out of steam here, I think. <laughs> big bird. Dad. I'm assuming it was his son. His yeah. son was like, that's a big bird. You should call it Big Bird. Uh, we can think of another. No, Big Bird. That's the one. Yeah. That's the one we're going with. All right. <laughs> Welcome, dead and lovely <laughs> listeners, to the first. Well, it's not the Second. first one in 2020. It's the first one we've recorded in 2020. That is true. The first podcast we have recorded in 2020. That's got a good <laughs> ring to it, doesn't it? it? Does. Everybody connects with that. Yeah. Why, it's Dead and Lovely, here with the host with the most. It's me, your good buddy, Uncle Ban. And me, Hollywood Stav. Hollywood Stav. And we're here today to be talking about a frailty, catching up about our holiday shenanigans. This is the first time that we recorded since we did the last episode. December 23rd. Yeah, which Mm -hmm. was on um, the Festivus. Festivus, yeah. So we've had all kinds of shindigs and shenanigans since then. We've had a a, a Christmas Eve. A Christmas mm-hmm. Day, uh huh, a All New Year's things. Eve, oh yeah, a New Year's Day, yes sir. So many things yeah. going on. How is your Christmas, dude? I'll tell you what. I got a Christmas gift from a guy I know. Yeah, that was a, a tincture of a marijuana. Oh my lord, have mercy. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. It made Christmas perfect. Were well, you dreaming of a green Christmas? Yeah, it made it awesome. Because one, <laughs> if I had walked into my family's place smelling like weed one my mom and my grandmother are supportive because i use it for anxiety yeah and they're like fine but everybody else knows what weed smells like and would be like huh what's up here yeah but i i I took i took some dropper of this uh this tincture Uh uh-huh and i was just perfectly mellow the whole time nice it was great that sounds like a wonderful gift yeah and there was just so much stuff going on that normally would have been anxiety producing but oh, God, it was just yeah. like nope doesn't matter doesn't matter to me very good that sounds like that yeah. worked out pretty well for so, you so that was christmas eve so on christmas went for more different other side emily's family stuff did the same thing <laughs> it worked out perfectly it's not going to make anything worse no it was great 
killer, dude. Yeah, so my, my holidays were perfectly chill. Very cool. Yeah. I'm glad to hear about that, mm-hmm. man. Ours ours were also pretty pretty easy going. Yeah. Except for... Uh-huh. Let's hear it. So on Christmas Eve, you know, we have like Kate's big family dinner and stuff, which is always like my favorite. Mm-hmm. And uh, afterwards, we kind of have some of the close family around and everybody exchanges presents and stuff like this, right? Yeah. There's like 30 people there. So it's really, really full. And the way that their living room is, it's kind of like, you know, like a kitchen, island, living room kind of combination right. where the Christmas tree is and stuff. Mm-hmm. So everybody kind of gets a chair, a couch, whatever. Uh, Kate and I were standing up back by the stove, right? Yeah. Uh, which, again, we can see the whole living room from mm-hmm. there. So somebody gives us, like, this big box, and I take it back over to where we're standing in front of the stove. Uh-huh. I set it on top of their gas range. Oh, no. <laughs> You're seeing where this yeah. is going. It goes there. Yep. And uh, so I set this this big box down on top of the gas range. We're standing there, and Kate's, like, starts to unwrap it and stuff. And suddenly it's like, why is the present on fire? <laughs> I don't even know how it's possible. Kate swears it was me. I don't know how it's possible because, you know, it's a gas range. So it's yeah. the kind of knobs that you have to push in. Yeah. Turn it all the way to high, right. you know, to get the pilot going right. and stuff like that. So I don't even know how it was turned on. unless so it was, Somebody leaned upon it. Probably, yeah. yeah. Or maybe it was like left on from dinner and just a pilot was going or maybe. something like that. I yeah. don't know. But either way, it a was definitely a showstopper. Yeah, it I was bet. a showstopper because it was like <laughs> suddenly, you know, the presents like in the air. Kate picks it up, throws it in the sink. We're like spraying it down with a water nozzle <laughs> and stuff. I'm just laughing my ass off because I think <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Everybody's like, "What's going on over there?" <laughs> it's like, "Oh, presents on fire." No big deal. <laughs> what is? I just just imagine if. As you noticed it caught on fire, it went, <laughs> and then you hear Kane's music, yeah. and he steps out of the flames. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what if like that would have been like somebody got us a fucking puppy or a kitty oh, or something? No. <laughs> Oh no! It was like, oh my god, put the box on now. No. That would have been so sad. That was definitely like the most exciting thing. Yeah, I believe I bet. That, that happened. I bet. Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, that was a pretty wild time. We had a good time though, man, and we're with everybody's family the next day and stuff too. That's awesome. Yeah, pretty easy going. Mm-hmm. Managed to make it through the whole thing hangover free, which is great. Yeah, I also did not get a hangover. Yeah, very nice. So that worked out in our favor. And then the next day is our favorite holiday, which is Bunker Day. Yeah. Which is where on the 26th, you just, just lock chill. yourself in the house yeah. and nobody comes over. You don't see nobody. Yeah. I felt bad because our, our main man, the notorious RDM, I know. happened to make a trip in just uh-huh. on a whim. And I was like, man, I would love to go and hang out with your handsome self, but I am holed up here in this apartment. I was also holed up. Yeah. Because uh, Emily went back to work. I think it was the first time she had worked and. She had like four days off there for the holiday. Nice. And uh, it was nice. I just sat home and worked, I think. Man, it's pretty just, sure that's all I did. It's just so fucking hectic around the holidays yeah. and stuff that like even whenever like New Year's and stuff comes around and it's like, yeah, yeah New Year's party. Like the idea of going to one more party is just not fucking appealing I, to me. Yeah, I was tired. I yeah, our plan was to just stay home and hang out, but then my my friend Chris was like, "Hey, you want to come hang out with me and my wife?" They were, you know, it wasn't going to be a rocks party. Yeah. Just hanging out. And so that's what we did on New Year's Eve, just sit in the living room. We we actually didn't get there until 11, so yeah. <laughs> we hung out for a few hours, but it was it was the most tame 
New Year's Eve I think I've ever had. That sounds pretty great yeah. to me, honestly. It was pretty great. I was drinking on some uh, George Dickel bottled in Bond. Oh, you mean like that bottle you just picked up for me? Yeah, huh? the, the whiskey burb- of the year. The bourbon bourbon of, the of, year. of the year. Yeah, 2019. I'll tell you, if you can find it, that's some fine it's shit. Don't let the name Dickel great. throw you. It's good. Uh, but also, uh, I recommend trying the the other Dickels. Hell I've yeah. I've recommended this. I think I thought about this when I was drinking it. I think within the first 10 episodes, I recommended people drink George Stickle because it was better than you think. It is. The, yeah. white, the white label's fantastic. Yeah. And that bottled in Bond fucking nails it. It's For great. Right now, like 36 bucks. Yeah. Uh, it was about $20 at the beginning of the year. Then it became bourbon of the year. If you can pick it up Word now, pick out. it up quick because it's it's going to get more expensive. Yeah. Pick it up and then pour it in your face. Yeah. Pour it in your face. <laughs> That's the recommended dosage yeah. for face use. <laughs> yep. For face use only. No butt chugging. <laughs> no. Good none bourbon. of that. Not eye drops. <laughs> not usable as eye drops. Yeah. We had ourselves quite the opposite New Year's Eve as oh, I was right. playing a oh, yeah, big you were playing ass, skank banger, yeah. big ass sold out <laughs> skank banger show at the open court. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just debaucherous as shit. I bet. It was awesome. I mean, those shows usually are, and it was New Year's Eve. Oh, Lord of mercy, dude. Uh Uh-huh. And then the the crazy thing is, is we started our set, you know, around like, I don't know, 9.30 or 10. Mm -hmm. And we were going to play till about 12.30 or so. Yeah. About 12.15, 12.20, we're just wrapping up some uh, some Welcome to the Jungle. Uh Uh-huh. You in the jungle, baby. You're going to die. You're going to die. And then we start getting uh, voiceover through the monitors on stage from the sound guy. Guys, guys, we're going to have to shut it down here for a second. Paramedics need to communicate with each other. Can't hear over the band. Somebody fucking dropped out their fucking heart stop, and they actually died for a little while. Oh, no. I know. And then you played Kickstarter, my huh? That was the difficult part. We'd already played Kickstarter, my heart. I know. There were so many other songs we could have played. It would have been perfect. Maybe Shot Through the Heart. Yeah, that could work, too. There's really a lot bad medicine. (laughs) There's a lot that could have worked there, I think. But yeah, like, they... I don't know exactly the whole story of what happened, but the bartender said this chick just had like four drinks or something. Yeah. And was just acting crazy fucked up like she was on drugs. Yeah. And yeah, she heart probably completely was on stopped. drugs. Like one of the paramedics like yeah. cracked ribs doing, yeah. uh, uh, what do they call it? Chest, uh, Chest compressions. Compressions yeah. and stuff. Yeah. How does that change your sense of self and identity? I died at a skank banger show. Hey, I invited Becky I to the party. Lean which in, one, which I one's think you Becky? lean into it. Oh, you know, Becky that like died that at the Skank Banger show. <laughs> I think you got to lean into it because yeah. if you go, you go the other way, that's the most embarrassing thing that happened to you. That's a pretty cool thing to happen to you. Pretty badass. Yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I could think of worse bands to die to. Hell yeah. Imagine that's how you start your year off, though. Yeah. 2020. I, I died. died. <laughs> I died watching a James Blunt cover band. Ah, said nobody cool yeah, ever. Yeah, exactly. If yeah. that were the case, you'd be like, all right, well, now I need to turn to Jesus, I guess. <laughs> I don't all know. left, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but instead, you're like, I actually lost fucking my life for a little while during the 80s hair metal tribute show. Fuck yeah! <laughs> she might have just won New Year's. Yeah. I think she really might have. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, had a pretty pretty wild New Year and stuff, but so far, so good. I'm looking forward to 2020. 2019 mm. was, like I said last episode, rough for a rough. lot of reasons rough. for a lot of people. Yeah. I think 2020 is going to be a, a real good earn, I'm quite sure. Eh, it'll, be, it'll be a year. Yeah. There, there'll be ups, there'll be downs. 
they'll be sideways they'll be underneaths there might be some back arounds oh you don't say yep. And I'll tell you what, there's going to be plenty of co-beers. Hell yeah. I think I'd like to have one now Let's just to get us started earlier. How about we sip on this Highland Brewing Company from Asheville, North Kakalaki, mm-hmm. their Black Watch Double Chocolate Milk Stout. This is a limited release, 8 percenter. Hell yeah. It's a big old boy. Let's now, see what this thing's uh, about. I am always super appreciative of Highland Brewing as yeah. they were one of the first in this area that really nailed... Micro brewing. Totally. Yep. The Highland Gaelic Ale was yeah. one of the first like fancy beers that I was like, oh, this is really good, yeah. man. And it still is. I enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, still, they're still kicking out the jams. I uh-huh. mean, we I think we had one in the summer that was a real good uh, after oh, yeah, that, you mow a lawn beer. They have that AVL IPA yeah. now that's kind of uh-huh. like green peppery. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. I like good that stuff. one a lot. I like that. Um, they do a Thunderstruck coffee pour uh-huh. or something. That is really good, That's too. That's really good. I'm sure this Black Watch is going to be good. I yeah. can't remember if I have had it or not, but we are enduring it like... It smells great. Yeah? Oh, it does. We're currently enduring like day one million of just nasty, cold, wet rain, yeah, gray drizzle out there. So it's gross out there. A big old warm... Uh, well, not warm. A big old heavy chocolate beer. <laughs> we should warm it up. We should warm it up. Let's put yeah. it in the microwave for a little while. <laughs> I think is exactly what's going to warm me up right. from the inside. That's what I was going for there. How's that treating you? That is a coffee stout. Man, I'll tell you what. Ooh, that is good. chocolatey. It's coffee. Yeah. There's nothing else going on there but just Chocolate stout. and coffee. Yeah. I'm very okay with that. <laughs> me too. That's really fucking good, man. It has a substantial amount of sweetness to it without yeah. being too rich. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's well, really damn. good. That's actually one of my favorite, wow. I think, chocolate milk stouts I've about ever it's, had. Because it's just straight on. There's no other, like, it's like, it's thick, it's chocolatey, it's coffee There's that milkish taste. Mm-hmm, yeah. I can really catch that, actually. Elegant that. mouthfeel. Yeah. <laughs> Elegant mouthfeel. <laughs> oh, it's good, man. Yeah. You've you been watching anything good over this Christmas season? Yes. I... I finished American Horror Story Cult, which I just started episode one last uh, episode. episode yeah, recorded. so you mowed down the rest, huh? Yeah, I think I think it was an amazing season of television. It's something I couldn't have watched when it came on because it's just so... Too soon. Yeah, it's too soon. The first three episodes of it are very anxiety-producing. Well, that's the thing. is like I watched the first episode with Kate um, some, you know, sometime last year, middle of last year, I think. Yeah, she started watching it, and I sat down and watched the first episode with her, and I was also just kind of like, I don't know if I can really watch mm-hmm. this right now because yeah. it's just a little, little too fucking relevant. I would say that the anxiety part mellows out, but the show, like the season, never mellows out. It always is just intense, and I really dug it. Evan Peters is fucking awesome. I mean, he's he's been awesome since the first season. He's awesome as Quicksilver. He's he's, he's oh yeah, that's right. That's fucking yeah. Quicksilver. I forgot about that. Yeah, but he he really does a great job as as the main antagonist. And then you know you got Sarah Paulson, who's always awesome, and Sarah and all Paulson. the other. I know, I know her. Uh, she's in every season of American Horror Story. That would be why. Yeah, she's 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 in other stuff. Oh, she was in uh, Ocean's Eight. She was one of the gals oh okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's right yeah like i said whenever i watched it and you've got fucking quicksilver just being such an asshole uh-huh. it's and, real rough oh man and it gets brutal too does it like very brutal huh yeah so, so you'd recommend it overall i do recommend it. yeah if you've uh if you've 
maybe give gave up on American Horror Story after some season and you want to pick back up, try Cult. I I thought it was really. I mean, Roanoke is is also great. I I said last episode, and probably is a good milder introduction back into the series. Cult is brutal. Full and stop. Just will kick your ass and also it's it's real fun damn okay so, cool yeah. man sounds like a good watch i also i i watched some other stuff but i i i saw uh florence Pugh in an interview talking about fighting with my family and i realized that i don't think i ever said that i watched fighting with my family recently i don't know what that is it's a uh it's a sports entertainment uh about wwe's page Oh, Paige. Okay. Yeah. 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 Former women's champion, or maybe current. I, I don't I, know. I haven't paid attention. Yeah. I need to need to brush up on yeah. my, my wrestle news. So, uh, is it a biopic or is it a, like it's a, a biopic? Basically, okay. about uh, her and her family. She started wrestling when she was thirteen. She comes from a wrestling family. Her mom and dad are both wrestlers. Okay. So, the it, it's just it's a sports movie. So you know the beats. You know what's going to happen. But the thing is that it's written and directed by Stephen Merchant of the British Office and the Ricky Gervais show and all of Ricky Gervais's stuff. Okay. And it's so well written and so well done that even though you know the beats of a sports movie, it it does it so well. It's like it's like a well done, you know, rom-com or something where mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, they all follow the same pattern, really. But this one does it really this well. This one does it really, really well. And it's starring Florence Pugh from Midsummer, who oh, yeah. is so fucking good. Nice, yeah. man. That and sounds pretty awesome. Nick Frost and uh, uh, Lena, Lena Headey and... Oh, uh, Cersei Lannister. Oh, and, and also The Rock and, you know, some other well, WWE stars. That also, sounds pretty yeah. dope, man. I can mm-hmm. get into that. Yeah, it's great. It's it's worth a watch. I think... It, I mean, it's not gonna challenge you at all it's it's just light fair but it's a good movie is it more or less fun than the wrestler it's more fun than the wrestler <laughs> that a should be like your review on the more box fun than the wrestler. a little bit more yeah. fun than the wrestler most <laughs> no things point are does Paige injure herself on purpose on a uh, meat slicer <laughs> <laughs> at no point. I mean, that could have added something yeah. to the movie. You Dude, know? I got that point. That that moment in the movie, I was with him. Yeah. I was like, yeah, fuck that. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> He's got this little, like... Like, tiny man. Like, the manager was a normal-sized person, but he's a goddamn behemoth yelling at him, and he's got people... When he goes to the ring, everyone's yelling for him, and now he's got this guy yelling at him. Like, what the fuck? Ugh, the Wrestler's a good movie. Yeah, We it should is. do that sometime. I mean, it's horrific. It, it really it is. It really dude. is horrific. Yeah. And, like, made Rowdy Roddy Piper cry, so... Oh, man. Yeah. Dude, that's one of those ones that, like, I can't think of a good time to watch that movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> There's like, not what's a lot the of good times. you find yourself in? You're like, yeah. you know what? Time to dig that's into a this lot. one. That's a lot of... Aronofsky's movies, right? Uh, like, yeah. 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 There's no good time to watch the it. The king of the feel-bad hit of the uh-huh. summer. <laughs> While we were holing up and enjoying our bunker day, I enjoyed myself finishing off the Lord of the Ring trilogy. Oh, yeah. I haven't done that for some stupid reason. Man. Because I was so pumped after the first one. 
I should. Oh, you know what it was? Just the holidays. Yeah, that old shit. Yeah, that old shit. I should get back to. Man, the holidays falling in the middle of the week. That's this the year worst. Fucked everything up in my schedule, yeah. dude. Like I am already behind. Holiday on a, video. On a Thursday is perfect because it's like, yeah. well, then I guess we got to be off Friday yeah, too. Like nobody's gonna weekend. have work that Friday as yep. well. Well, people will, but everybody's gonna. Uh, generally agree that the boss who makes you do that is an asshole exactly yeah but yeah having like tuesday and wednesday two weeks in a row occupied by holidays yeah completely fucked my schedule the worst. dude the two towers is so badass it's the so two badass. towers is awesome yeah. i think i like when overlook the slides it. down the stairs on that i mean yeah. it can't be overemphasized how cool that it's is fucking cool it's is impossible cool. But it's so fucking cool. Yeah, dude. Well, being an elf is impossible. Yeah, exactly. As far yeah. as I know. As far as, yeah. I haven't tried that hard. Yeah. Though we do have that listener, Sam, the elves. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why when we shouted him out, we went with delves instead of delves, which is his yeah, name and better. a verb. Eh, that's definitely better. <laughs> Sam, we're making fun of you, kind of. Aren't kind we? Of, sort of. No. We're just jealous. No, we're just jealous. jealous. You got really. a great name. Yeah. Damn it. But yeah, Two Towers is fucking awesome. Return of the King, dude, it just don't stop. It it's don't. a fucking 20 out of 10. It really, like, it, it, you keep, like, everybody was mad about, it keeps ending, but it's like, it keeps ending all these epic storylines yeah, is dude. what keeps ending. Like, fine, totally fine. Epic storylines that we've seen play out over, like, seven hours, eight hours of movie at that point. Of course they're the going to be the end of your endings. journey. Yeah. So fucking good, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't watch a whole lot else other than that. We uh, we went and watched Rise of Skywalker a second time mm-hmm. with his parents. Mm-hmm. I have the same feelings about it as before. Okay. Still was entertaining. So Skywalker is now erect. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, the twist is, it's actually about Skywalker retiring from being a Jedi, becoming a baker. Oh. It's rising. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Skywalker loaves, uh-huh. maybe, That's would right. be the name of that. I think so. Okay. Something like that. So yeah. It's about the rise Skywalker. Rise. He says <laughs> as the, like he stands next to his bread as yeah. it's rising. And In a just warm, keeps damp going, environment. Rise. <laughs> uh, we did see something that made me feel like I was tripping my balls off. Okay. One of the most nonsensical, bizarre fucking things I've ever seen. Central Cinema was showing it down the street here. And just completely on a whim, we are like, you know what? We can make this showing. Let's go watch the peanut butter solution. What in the name of Mother Dick is this movie? Mm. I don't I like I know of it as a cultural reference. I know it is very weird. I have never seen it. Steven, this thing is a fucking fever dream. Maybe maybe I convince everybody to do it tonight for Friday night. Oh my god, please yeah. do. We're recording on a Friday. There's a rip of it on YouTube. I uh, yeah. You can watch all sure the yeah. Dude, do you even want me to tell you what it's about? I, it might be better if you watch it tonight, just not yeah, even knowing. Yeah, that's it. I, and we'll I, talk about it yeah, next time. Let's talk about it next time. I, I'm sure I, I can convince everybody to watch Peanut Butter Solution. I'm telling you guys, if you want to just see drugs, <laughs> just drugs on screen. Yeah, I do. I do want to see that. It very, very much is a child's fever dream that's set awesome. in motion. Watch the Peanut Butter Solution. We'll talk about okay. it on the next episode awesome. or something. Holy shit, man. You guys watch anything good for the streaming chat? Yes, we did not. Because <laughs> that's how the you streaming watch things, chat is. But not good things. Yeah. We watched New Year's Evil, which... I've heard of that one, but I've never seen it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one we talked about in holidays yeah, where yeah. it's like perfectly titled because it says 
the idea is that it all happens on New Year's Eve. And if you're going to watch a horror movie on New Year's Eve for some reason, you might be like, I'll watch New Year's Evil. It's terrible. It's, it's not real good, bad. Okay. It's real slow. It's a who done it sort of, except that we know who done it. It's a we know who done it. But nobody else in the movie know who did it. Yeah, everybody else is trying to figure out who done it, but we already know. So for us, it's like, uh, it's, well, it's, it's that one guy. So what you're saying is like the cameraman spoiled the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to be a tight shot. He did right. a wide shot. You could see who did it. You could see very clearly who did it. And for the rest of the movie, it's like, well, it's that guy. The guy who keeps <laughs> putting on disguises. The premise is that it's, the killer is trying to kill someone for each... Uh, New Year in each time zone in America. <laughs> what? It's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. There's also a new wave band, I put in quotes, because they're acting and dressed like the Sex Pistols, and then when they play, they sound like Boston. <laughs> Which I love it. I don't know if anybody's aware, but that is not new wave. <laughs> yeah, those are not the same things. Nope. So, yeah, it's terrible. Then we followed that up with Hellgate. I have no idea what that is. Is that related to maybe a, a water or pizza gate? <laughs> yep. Where, where, if it you is were, related to pizza gate, guys. If you were ranking those three gates, <laughs> where would you put this one? What's your I'd defined say, order? All right, number number one with a bullet, pizza gate. Everybody's pizza favorite. Gate, the realist. Uh number two, Hellgate. Hell okay. Yeah. Right. So and then Watergate, Watergate, you know, cause like it was real and like sucked. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. You know, Pizzagate's fun because it's not real at all. <laughs> crazy. So Hellgate, what is, same. What is a Hellgate then? Uh, ooh, it's a movie. Um, okay. There's a crystal involved that shoots lasers. Ooh, a laser crystal. There's, there's I assume a, you mean like a crystal hamburger. There's something they keep calling a ghost town, which in this case means a town where people are dressed up like they're in the past but they're not like ghosts and but it's not then, an empty but town but then later they are ghosts it made zero sense there were a number of boobs though which is like always the saving grace of these terrible Friday night movies. Now, when you say a number, was it an even number or an odd number? It may have been an odd number. I prefer my boobs in even numbers, point, personally. There was, uh, one of the the female characters was having sex while smoking. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we all felt. Gross. Yeah. And then the thing was, it didn't show her smoking at almost any other time in the movie. So... It was a real indication of how bored she was during sex. I bet that you can find this clip and more on smokefuck.net. Smokefuck? Oh, <laughs> God. I oh, mean, wait, it's got to be wait, somebody's Does thing. that also have that Melisandre baby? <laughs> yes, correct. Yes. <laughs> that smoke baby. <laughs> so, okay. Well, I mean, Melisandre's on. That's okay. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> Smoke fuck. Oh, that's so gross. So Hellgate, not so much, huh? No, Hellgate's terrible. Uh, so is New Year's Evil. They're, neither one of them are worth watching. Right on, man. Right on. Well, I'm happy to be getting back into a somewhat normal routine after, Me too. after the holidays yeah. and stuff. I mean, I say normal, and it's like, well, not really, because like, we're closing on our house. Next, right. You like, still got week. all that stuff going on, right? Yeah. So we still have some more stuff to move out of our house before it's sold. And then right after that, I go to L.A. to go to Nam mm -hmm. for a week. And then as soon as I get back, like, 
I'm back. There's one day, then Kate leaves for Thailand. Right. I with her sister about that. for a while. She gets yeah, back. Yeah, a whole bunch of bunch. There's one day, and I leave for Shiprocked. Oh, right. Yeah. So we're going to have like three or four weeks where we see each other, maybe two days. I going to be intense. In my marriage, that has never happened. Yeah? Not even close. I think the most... Because my wife went on a, a cruise with her brother. Because... Uh, well, there was there was a lot going on there. There were there were some reasons. It was on MormonSiblingCruise.com. Right, Mormon sibling. My wife went on a cruise with her brother. They were gone for I think like five days. I think that's the longest that we've been separated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm a rambling man. Yeah, you you and I used go and to. play all the honky yeah. tonks and stuff. I tend to be away more than most people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess the only time that we've been away for a significant amount of time since we've been married is whenever Kate went to Chicago with her mom and sister a couple of years ago. She hopped on that train to Chicago. Chirac, as they call it. Ch- Am I right? So it's going to be wild, man. And then basically as soon as she gets back, that's when we're probably going to start looking seriously at either, you know, finding a bigger apartment or buying a condo or something mm-hmm. like that. So I say getting back to normal life, it won't be for a while, honestly. Yeah. Hell, at this point, I don't even know if I have normal life at all, you know? <laughs> But I'll tell you what I did watch this week. It's a little movie called Frailty. Yeah. And it's good. It is good. I enjoyed it quite a lot, yeah, man. me too. And this is a movie that kind of fits into a very specific niche genre in horror that is not often explored, but whenever it's done and it's done well, I think especially if you live and have grown up in the South, yeah, it hits really hard and very it close does. to home. And that's kind of that weird sort of i don't know what else to call it other than maybe southern gothic that is exactly what it is southern gothic yeah Yeah, this kind of fits nicely into that genre and there's a few other noteworthy pictures and tv shows that i'd like to inform you busters about before we get Mm -hmm. into the review so maybe if you guys get a hankering for some more southern gothic horror you can find some other things to check out Mm. so i say before we get into talking about the movie itself let's let's just take a little sidetrack let's take a little detour ski over here into that Preview Palace. Y'all just come on in now to the Preview Palace. <laughs> Head on in. <laughs> Let's talk about some of our favorite examples of the Southern Gothic genre. Now, Steve, Webster's Dictionary defines Southern Gothic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, let me give you a quick... Break it down, break it down. A quick definition. Southern, I mean, essentially... Do it like the Micro Machines guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Very quick. That guy, he definitely could beat me because i am going to try to make this fast but th- there's there's a good bit about gothic literature that is is pretty well known it's dark uh the idea of like there is some sort of like uh element of maybe a supernatural thing that mostly in early gothic literature it never appears there's just the concept that something could be there. Like a lot of early Gothic literature is more about the possibilities. Okay. So like being in like tunnels under a castle or something where it's dark and you can't see and maybe hearing a noise or everything kind of getting tighter Theater as you walk the through. Yeah, all yeah. that sort of stuff. Now, Southern Gothic though, it takes that and also adds in the dash of Southern humor and really developed during the Reconstruction era of after the Civil War. Okay. So it really had to do with the South dealing with this con- concept of their their 
pre-war idea of this like southern aristocracy of these like plantation plantation owners who were basically in charge of the area and their participation in slavery the uh number of everything yeah the number of plantations that were basically just rotting now because no one could afford to upkeep them and things all of this uh works perfectly in the gothic landscape Mm. and so you throw in a dash of mark twain and some uh edgar Allan poe and ambrose bierce and you've got southern gothic basically you take the gothic you add in our sense of like dark sense of humor and then you you wrestle with issues of right and wrong and good and bad and Things can be murky and yeah, definitely. hard to understand. And a lot of times there's a good hearty dash of just like super conservative, backward, snake handle Christianity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Religious hoodoo. and hoodoo and yeah, voodoo and, and spiritualism yeah. and stuff like that. But it's always with a, the twinge of kind of look at how stupid these people are. Not, not people saying look at how stupid Southerners are, but look at how stupid, say, these people involved in christianity are yeah. or hoodoo like <laughs> it always seems to be like a little bit of um people that are still very much stuck in the old south people that have it moved yeah, on yeah so there are always sense. these characters yeah who are who are part of this old southern um aristocracy and they're always sort of connected to ideas of civility and things while they're also connected to racism so like there's always the obvious problem there when you're trying to talk about civility while also talking about enslaving an entire race of people like where there's there's this tension and southern gothic literature and and also film and tv they play on that tension by really showing you how ugly that like southern charm can be right that's so romanticized yeah. and stuff yeah. and i really recommend if you want to know more about like these bits about the south maybe you're not from the south you want to understand this more check out trey crowder's videos he's he's done a lot of videos recently where he he talks about the history of uh things like uh the term white trash and oh really yeah the terms redneck and things like that to try to let people know like i'd I'd like to watch those oh yeah they're very interesting because it really lets you know like this this interesting ideology in the south where we pre-civil war like it really was an aristocracy where there were the rich people and then there were the rednecks meaning the white people who had to work like the concept of white people having to work was like gross to rich people so there was always this like tension in the south between rich and poor but then after the civil war those rich people lost everything and everybody became dirt poor they all became rednecks but those rich people still held to their like i was part of this before the war so they always thought themselves above the rednecks and the white trash yeah yeah and there's that constant looming question of you know where did you come from where did you go yeah where'd you come from cotton Cotton eye joe Joe. yeah you gotta you gotta you gotta think about where cotton eye joe was where he's been where he's gonna be man yeah Yeah. that's at the heart of all of this stuff (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, but like, uh, let me. I'll just I'll just mention a few. Yeah, give Southern me a couple Gothic of examples. Writers. Um, before we get into the movie titles, these are just some people you've probably heard of. Flannery O'Connor. Flannery O'Connor. Yeah, sure. A good man is hard to find. Good country people. Good country people is a fucking perfect example uh, of Southern Gothic literature. Okay, I don't know that. The one. title is perfectly ironic. Everything plays out exactly like if you want to know what Southern Gothic literature is, check out Good Country People. Uh, William Faulkner, Tennessee Williams, Harper Lee, Truman Capote, Carson McCullers, like tons and tons of big names. James Dickey, who wrote Deliverance. Uh, more modern, we get t- uh, Tony Morrison, Cormac McCarthy, Anne Rice, and Joe Lansdale. Cormac McCarthy, I didn't think yeah. about him, but yeah, a lot of those things yeah. like No Country for Old Men and mm-hmm. all that kind of fit into mm-hmm. the same genre of just yeah. like how, how creepy... A lot of the landscape down here yeah. can be when you just have these wide open spaces where yeah. you're like, somebody could kill me and throw me in a ditch mm-hmm. or at the base of a tree. <laughs> nobody would ever know. Throw you in a bog if you're down in Louisiana. Yeah. Nobody would fucking find out. That's true. That's like Cormac McCarthy and a lot of those other authors capture that stuff I would, very well. I would say things that still fit into Southern Gothic and are actually major elements would be things from Texas, Arkansas, and Louisiana. Yeah. You look at, say, Missouri or Oklahoma. I mean, Missouri, you got, like, Mark Twain stuff and Oklahoma. Like, those, those things, those places, despite the fact they might be considered the South a lot of times, they don't really have the history of Southern Gothic literature that the further South has. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting to learn about that stuff. Now, whenever you're talking about some of your ideal titles that fit into this sort of yeah. genre, there's a couple of... I think a couple of TV shows that stand out here, first of all, and I think that True Detective Season 1 mm-hmm. captures everything yeah, that we're talking about. Lovecraftian so Southern Gothic is exactly what True Detective... Yeah. And, and Season weird... 3 goes back to that Southern Gothic. See, I haven't well. watched Season I haven't 2 watched or 3, either. man. I've heard that 3 it. is dynamite. Yeah, though. it's got Marshall Ali and sound sounds like it's great, yeah. but 2 is I've heard 2 is just awful, man. Yeah. But yeah, True Detective Season 1, it so captured that thing that like, Man, I'm telling you, dude, even even like back in my pizza delivery days, yeah. whenever, you know, somebody would call in an order late at night uh-huh. and I have to drive out to wherever the fuck they are, like out in the sticks yeah. or out in the rocks of Talbot, as everybody <laughs> yeah. knows, we call it the rocks, so uh-huh. there's rocks jutting up out of yeah. everywhere. And you drive by like, you know, like 10 different chicken coops with like spray painted uh-huh. numbers on them and you get back to this old shack. And again, there's that like... I could be killed and this guy could feed me to his chickens. Yeah. And the world would just think I vanished. Mm-hmm. You know, I ran into so much of that shit that feels like stuff you saw in True Detective. Like yeah. whenever they go out to the house where the Yellow King is and all that oh stuff. Oh my God. I've delivered pizza to that fucking place, man. <laughs> Obviously. Oh I've, my God. I've, I lived in a house that looked a lot like some of those houses for yeah. sure, where it's just beaten up and old and needs a paint job but isn't gonna get it <laughs> that show yeah. dude is, is so fucking fantastic yeah. and it, it also captures again the the religious fascination of the south yes. while also dealing with the fact that you have characters like like uh matthew mcconaughey's character in it who is just so over religion and just fucking hates people, it so yeah people much. need to like recognize that that is a part of the southern identity and has been for a long long time of the people who are over religion people gave up yeah, yeah people totally. have been over religion before slavery ended like mm. that was a part of the southern identity is being over religion religion came back in a big way after slavery was 
uh, eliminate. I yeah. mean, it was it was the big for the, the big tent revival. Yeah, yeah. pre Civil War, it was big for the rich because the preachers would justify what they were doing. <laughs> they had something to thank God for. Yeah, the pre <laughs> the preachers would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. God's cool with you having slaves. Look, there's slaves all the throughout Bible. the Bible. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then after that, like, well, they're not going to go. And the the hillbillies, the rednecks, the white trash, they weren't going ever. So a lot of that mountain religion is what kind of kept going. That's why we have snake handlers. That's why we have uh, our religion in the South is so fractured. Like, yeah, very much. Whenever you see Hollywood versions of religion, it's always Catholicism because Catholicism is the most nailed down. You come down in the South. There are hundreds of denominations. Like, you could go to a Baptist church and the Baptist across the street think you're going to hell. Oh, yeah. Absolutely yeah. so. Yeah. It's yeah. very fractured. Very and fragmented. so the, there's always been the undercurrent of hatred of religion and this, like, disdain. Even and within religion. Even within religion groups. itself. So, yeah. yeah. Very strange. Yeah. The True Detective, I just think, captures it. Yeah. So fucking well, man. And yeah. all the accents and everything are on point, too. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, they're... Uh, they're both from Texas. Yeah, Woody and and uh, yeah, Woody and Harrelson. That's awesome. Man. He's so oh good. Oh my god, yeah. dude, he's fantastic. Yeah, that's such a great show. Uh, this movie itself ha- takes a lot of inspiration from The Night of the Hunter, which is a 1950s. Uh, it's sometimes classified as a horror. Okay. I'd say it's more of a thriller, but it it involves a, a guy exploiting religion to get into people's homes to get stuff from them. Like, okay, yeah. That that one's, I think, nails the early Southern Gothic move in 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 TV and liter or TV and, and film. Yeah, but yeah. But then we got we got things like, say, Deliverance. Like it's hard to say Deliverance is a horror movie, but also it's hard to say that's not a horror movie. Like, yeah, yeah. If you watch that and you're like, oh, it's just a, a fantastic family run. Right. You're fucked up. Yeah, because it's horrific. horrific. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, it deals with these like backwoods people that are stuck in time uh-huh. from some other era. Yeah, the the city, basically, in, in some ways, it, it's, it is Lovecraftian in itself where for these city people, it is so far removed from anything they could ever comprehend that yeah. they get into this situation that is outside of any realm of their control or understanding. But for the hillbillies, that's the norm. Like, it's they're just, in yeah. their fucking element. Yeah. Yeah, that's Play what makes banjo. shit like that yeah. fucking creepy for yeah. sure, man. I think uh, maybe that first or second season of, of True Blood... The later seasons get really <laughs> fucking silly and stupid. I haven't seen any of it. I know Emily watched it and uh, hated it, but watched they're, every They're not great, man. It. It's not great, but it does have a good vibe to it. And even like the intro theme music and stuff like that yeah. really plays into that very well, I think. It's kind of got that like Chris Isaac-y kind of okay. thing going on. Um, yeah, not very good no. overall, but again, it's got that cool like swamp bayou landscape that is very visually effective. Yeah, I mean that... That is, I mean, the Anne Rice, Anne Rice is Southern Gothic, True. Southern Vampire Gothic, and yeah. I, I think, I think, her establishing them in in New Orleans, in Louisiana, kind of did give credence to the ideas. That, yeah, it's probably where vampires would live. It's kind of this, like when you think of a swamp world, right? Yeah, but it also has these swamps where it's like not land, not water. Like it, it the the landscape sort of 
plays into the undead idea. Yeah, dead and alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see some of that. Have you ever seen The Gift? I think that one. The Gift, yeah. Has Sam Raimi with uh, Kate Blanchett and a number of Giovanni other people. Reepsy, I think. Yeah, he's in that. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since I saw it, but I remember it being real fucked up. It's kind yeah. of like it's on on that, it's a that thriller. edge of being a thriller. Yeah. But it's got some crazy shit in it, it and is. again has that creepy backwoods feel. Uh huh. I mean, spades. The, the one that I think not only exemplifies Southern Gothic, but takes it to the next level is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You got the, the broken, the like falling apart old manners of this part of Texas, which were probably formerly owned by people who had money. I mean, when they're in that, uh, the house that their family owned, it's a pretty big house. Yeah. It's in an area where... There's nothing going on, which makes you think, well, was it oil money? Was it all this other type of stuff? All this plays into the Southern Gothic of like this decay from former success. And then also this family whose values are out of whack and everything is is different because everything they once knew has fallen apart. Like they used to be the people who killed cows. Now what do they do? They kill people. Yeah. Yeah. And again, that's got just those wide open spaces, uh-huh. that, that isolation yeah. and desolation mm-hmm. that you see in so many parts yep. of the South out here in the country. I mean, yeah, that that one is definitely mm-hmm. an exemplary, uh, exam- uh, a good example yeah, of what we're go. talking about here. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> what else we got on here that's a good example? Uh, I would near say, Dark has a little bit of that going yeah, I'd on, say too. Yeah, Near Dark is, is probably right in line with that. It's... Vampires fit in Southern Gothic. I mean, they yeah. fit in Gothic literature auto- automatically, but they really fit in Southern Gothic where you think they wouldn't because it's sunny and warm in the South most of the time. It's not really. But they fit so well in uh, Interview with a Vampire. They fit so well in Near Dark. Like, there's, it works. There's just, yeah. Like, I think the vampires in Near Dark are able to do something that the hillbillies in Deliverance do, which is portray not... Not a savagery in the South, but an actual disdain for other people. Like, mm-hmm. we, we talk about Southern hospitality and Southern niceness, but, like, in reality, there's a lot of hate in the South. Oh, yeah. Absolutely it's just so. overflowing in a lot of places. So, those vampires, they kind of exemplify that. They're, like, these perfect, like, hate machines. They just love murder and death, and Bill Paxton specifically in near dark just loves revels in hurting other people call me mr pig knuckle uh-huh well yeah. they kind of have that same thing that the sawyer family from yeah. texas chainsaw has mm-hmm. where they're just out to take care of me and mine yep they don't care about anybody else and that yeah there's that that is very much a southern reality yeah i was dude. gonna say trope but it's a reality what do you know about the tale of Ed Hardy <laughs> Pumpkin and Head. Pumpkinhead. One of our early episodes. I think episode number two. I yeah. recall the audio on that episode being pretty fucked off. Yeah, whatever. It's free, y'all. Yeah, it's, free. it's free. Pumpkinhead was... I mean, it's it's not the best movie ever, but it's very much Southern Gothic and has great uh, effects and really does play on that idea of like backwoods witch magic type totally. of stuff. I, I told the story, I think, in that episode of... When I was young, my mom taking my sister and I to a witch because we had... Oh, warts or something, Yeah, right? we had suddenly gotten these warts on our hands. Like, we, I had like five or six warts. Yeah. And she took us to a witch who had buried some beans buried in a graveyard beans. and then rubbed the beans on our <laughs> on our warts. And, of course, it didn't work. 
Well, that's the thing, though, is like, you know, when you think about the South, of course, you do think about very Religion. hardcore religious people, mm. but there but are the so bull. many those are old the, nature worship. Yeah, those are the rich people. When yeah, you think, those yeah. are the people, you, when you think of the South, what you're thinking of are the plantation owners. Yeah. You're not thinking of the rednecks. You're not thinking of the actual hillbillies, the people who are in the backwoods who don't give a shit about Jesus. Right. Yeah. Or if they do, he's just a part of their whole mythology that they use to heal people with tree bark and shit. Like yeah. it, it doesn't have anything to do with lots of things like Christianity. There's, there's just as much of a, of a tradition of yeah, old fucking swamp witches mm-hmm. and nature worshippers yeah. and and all that here in the South too. Yeah. You know, and, and definitely Pumpkinhead gets into yeah, some of that. Pumpkinhead's way into that, and it's uh, Stan Winston. So yeah, special stuff. Fucking yeah. awesome, man. What about like Killer Joe? That's yeah, not really Killer horror. Joe. Yeah, but, but it's, God, man, that shows the ugly side of the South. It does. It does. It, and this, I mean, this movie, they both have Matthew McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey again. They both dude. have a sheriff who yeah. is in charge and doing evil things without people's knowledge, and that is so common in the South. I mean, in the entirety of Cock County's police force got arrested at one point. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> Our entire police force in a full county right. because they were selling Corrupt. drugs and running gambling and like selling moonshine and shit. It was All crazy. All kinds of shit. Yeah, there's definitely a long-standing history of authority figures and policemen. Just and think stuff of like Boss that. Hog. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a long-standing tradition of them being corrupt and doing fucked up stuff and yeah killer joe definitely features yeah. a lot of that. not an easy movie to watch no it's not that again i don't know when i'll be in the mood to watch that shit again yeah gina that scene where he makes gina gershon suck on that uh Hot chicken leg or chicken yeah it's a chicken yeah. leg god yeah. damn dude it's it's pretty unwatchable it's brutal yeah but it's southern gothic i i would say just to throw some other ones out there like uh big fish sling blade stuff like that yeah, stoker uh, stoker is one that is well worth talking about because it's directed by uh, a korean director oh but it perfectly nails southern gothic that's so, uh those are two cultures I don't see overlapping. Yeah. I, I recommend it. It's it's a, a well shot, really pretty movie, but it's real, real fucked up. Right on, yeah. man. And of course, you know, you also have some other shows like Preacher and stuff like that. Oh yeah, Preacher. They get Set into in that Texas well. it's got I mean, they got their uh definite uh fantastical elements for the gothic. Uh American Horror Story as well has uh, Coven and Roanoke, which are both Coven set in uh, Louisiana, Roanoke set in North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, they they both play into the Southern Gothic ideas. So it it's a oh it's town, a, town that dreaded sundown. Both of oh those. the town that dreaded I forgot yes, about that the one. first one in one. the remake. Yeah, I wasn't really nuts about either one. Honestly, no, I, they they both don't get too good for me, but. Uh. But people like him, so maybe we're in the minority. I mean, the sackhead idea wasn't that before Jason. The yeah, town it was of Dread actually. Sunday was like eighty, I think, or seventy nine, eighty, and then Jason. The first one with Jason was eighty one, where he had the the, the sack on his head. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was very. So that was that. an interesting element, but yeah, it's not a, not the most fun movie. Yeah, but this kind of genre, whenever it's done well. Again, like I said, maybe it's just especially for us since we grew up in this landscape and have seen it and been around it our is, whole yeah. lives. Maybe it's more effective to us. I think so. But whenever it's done well, it's extremely effective. Yeah. You know? I and think some elements of Southern identity are, are um, understandable or recognizable to a lot of other groups. Like, say, for instance, when I watch Trailer Park Boys or Letterkenny, I see that Canada obviously has a full 
like full on population of people that would fit right into this house. <laughs> like you can also they see blend. It, you can also see it in some British shows and, and movies where right. they're they're yeah. obviously people in that would fit right in right here. So like it's all over the English speaking world at least. And I would definitely say that Frailty fits in as one of those movies that that actually does this shit really well. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I I really enjoyed this flick. I had seen it years ago a long time ago probably like eight yeah. or nine years ago i okay. think we had a day where we, it was like raining it was nasty outside it was freezing cold it's kind of yeah. like what it is right now and uh we just decided to hole up and watch movies all day and this is one that we just happened to watch and have a domino's pizza delivered while we all right watch the movie so now, i don't know why what, I what do you get on a domino's pizza so a thin, oh, and, a thin yeah, i was gonna say crust it's yeah. gotta be a thin the, the uh, regular okay, yeah, Domino's bready. does have the best thin. Their cracker so. crust. It's crackery. Yep. Yes. Yep. They do have the best. So I always go for a thin. I mm. get a pepperoni. Okay. I'll get a mushroom. Right. And a green pepper. That's good. I think it's That's just good. a classic yeah. trio of ingredients. I get yeah. that from just about anywhere, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from Domino's, I think that with the thin crust actually works pretty yeah. fucking good. Domino's isn't. It's not amazing. The best. No. But it is categorically pizza. That's true, and their thin crust is consistent. Yeah, totally. Though I, I do prefer the 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 pan yeah. pizza there, and the or it's hand tossed is what toss, they call it. Yeah, yeah. they're hand tossed. What do you get? I, on that I, thing? I mean, the best trio. I don't eat it anymore because I don't eat pork. But uh, is is bacon, jalapeno, and pineapple. Ah, you've you've sung the praises of that trio before. Yeah, I think they're amazing. But if you don't like pineapple on your pizza, my favorite is is uh, feta. Black olives and uh, Italian sausage. Oh, a little Greek action yeah. there, huh? Yeah. A little Grecian. Yeah. But again, I don't eat pork, so now I just get fed in black olives or just pineapple and, and jalapeno. He's gone kosher. <laughs> so we watched this movie while we were scarfing down a domino, and I remembered really enjoying it and being like, wow, this is not what I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then rewatching it the other night for the show, I was like, yeah, I don't remember anything about this movie. I oh, remembered okay. it completely differently. I forgot that so much of the movie was flashbacks and yeah. stuff. Like in my memory, it was like Matthew McConaughey going around swinging an axe and killing people. Like, <laughs> I don't know what exactly happened because I usually remember stuff better than that. But Must yeah, this is like watching real into that pizza. Yeah, I was just thinking <laughs> about the pizza. I mean, clearly I remember it very well. Yeah. So, yeah, this is a, a, a good treat for me, man. When's the last I time caught you saw this, it? Uh, the first time I saw this, I caught it on TV. I don't remember what channel it was on, but I don't remember it being edited, so it must have been one of the movie channels. But it was like 2006, maybe. I mean, there's not too much to edit out of here, though, That's honestly. true. That's true. I mean, it's it's brutal, but a lot of no blood, no violence. sex, no nudity. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I remember just seeing... It may have been like on USA or TNT, even. Yeah. But I remember seeing it just as a fluke. It was just on TV and being like, whoa, what was that? And yeah. then I think maybe a couple of years later, I wanted to go back to it because I just remembered really enjoying it. So I think I watched it again. And then I was working on something a few years ago. It was a Southern Gothic comic book that basically I was researching when god tells people to kill and i watched frailty again and i was just like this movie holds up because like it has a twist i maybe even more than one twist but like watching it knowing the twist it's a different movie 
Yeah, I wanted to watch it again, honestly. Yeah, because yeah, I totally didn't remember the twists and yeah. stuff that happened at the end. So uh, as soon as I finished it, I was like, God damn, I hope I get time to watch this. Mm-hmm. Totally didn't. Uh, but it would still be a fun watch to uh, to see it again, even yeah. knowing what happens. And that, that is uh, the, the writer, Brent Hanley, he wanted that. He wanted it to have this a rewatchability where when you go back and see it, knowing what is revealed... It has a different sort of way of looking at it. And this is something that, like, twists can work so effectively when they work like they do in this movie, where you can go back and watch it and go, oh, I see it. There were clues all yeah. along, yeah. Yeah, but you didn't see it up to that point. Then there are the twists that you catch too early, and then you're just bored the rest of the time. Yeah. Because they're like dangling these things and you're like, yeah, I, I like, already I got, got it. it. Yeah. yeah, I got it. Yeah. And then they're, you know. They're the ones that are just like that pot that couldn't have possibly yeah. happened. So the ones where it's like, twist. that makes no sense. Yeah. So frailty, you enter when you, when you decide to do a twist, you enter into like dicey territory and frailty, I think does a good job of making what ends up being two movies. The movie you watch when you don't know the twist and then the movie you watch when you do know the twist. Yeah, definitely. And Bill Paxton said about this when he was talking about it on the director's commentary, he said that in the first movie, when the first time you watch it through and you don't like know the twist, it's a horror movie. The second time you watch it through, it's a tragedy. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it really is. When you know what's going on, you're just like, "Oh no!" Like these poor boys. No like, kidding. The that, whole dude. Time. That's like that's something I have in my notes where I'm just like, "This is way more sad than it is scary." Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. those poor fucking kids mm-hmm. going through that shit, which is a very, very real situation. It's a real situation. About that yeah, we we need to. Um, I'm sure I'm sure you're able to to dig up a lot of great information given how well documented this film is on the Wikipedia. Page I was really surprised by this. That this movie, I didn't like. I never read anyone like I don't watch YouTube videos about the movies we do or read anyone else's commentary about it. But I I, I like to get to the primary sources, and normally the best way to do that is go to Wikipedia and just look at the the linked sources. Well, in this case, that that wasn't easy to do. And then I also found that there wasn't a ton out there to be found. I mean, if you look at the the IMDb trivia part, what yeah. you'll find is it repeats itself yeah, over, and like over and over and over. Five things total, yeah. but it's like thirty entries. Yeah, a whole lot about why the axe is named Otis, and it's just like, yeah, but like the thing that you keep saying is that Bill Paxton just didn't have any idea like he, he wanted it to have a name so people would recognize it later that was it like yeah why do we keep talking about why it's otis. named otis <laughs> it's just named something so later when he when matthew mcconaughey grabs it we can go oh it's the same axe yeah that's it yeah yeah it's a visual yeah. marker yeah. more than anything yeah so it was hard to find some information but then like i started going through old interviews and stuff and finding uh finding out about what was going on here basically bill paxton just wanted to direct uh, a movie he had directed before this the video for barnes and barnes's fish heads i don't know what which that was is. an snl like short back in 1980 okay maybe you've heard the song fish heads fish heads roly poly fish heads i've not heard this okay this sounds mental 
It is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, early SNL made no sense. No. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he directed that music video. He hadn't directed anything since then, but he, he wanted to get into directing. And he basically just had, I don't know, this mentality of uh, he wanted to do something with his Texas friends. <laughs> Which is what this ends up being. Brent Hanley, the writer, is from Texas. Matthew McConaughey from Texas. Powers Booth is from Texas. Uh, Bill Paxton's from Texas. Like, he was really going for, let's get all our Texas bros together and make a movie. Brent Hanley had written this script, uh, basically inspired by the, the Night of the Hunter, which I said earlier, and also just Hitchcock films in general. He was really interested in playing up the mystery elements and okay, stuff yeah but also it's uh, obviously inspired by southern gothic literature and inspired by the reality of people killing in the name of god now you mentioned a, a joseph callinger earlier yes. i don't know who that is big you said inspiration this is kind of inspired uh-huh. i think before i i hear about such dastardly acts i'm gonna need to get a poll yeah I would love Do you feel like we should? I think a pull is appropriate. How about a pull that was donated to the show by our good buddy, Grayson Hester? Who we will one day have on this show. Yeah, very we soon. We've been really promising it. We've yeah. been teasing it. And we finally have the, the setup. So. Yeah, that's yeah. All right. We got the means to make it happen. So Grayson was in town uh, for the Christmas holiday, and we saw him a couple days afterwards and hung out, took that boy to an Adopo pizza. Oh, yeah. God damn, Adopo's so good. It is good. It is good. And he brought us some Creature Comforts Brewing Company from Athens, Georgia. Yeah. It is their Tropicalia India Pale Ale, which promises to be ripe and juicy, aromatic, and balanced. I'll tell you this. I love a tropical pale ale. As do I. Big fan. So I'm excited for this. Oh, it smells. Oh, that smells nice. It's good, man. It's an easy drinker, too. Easy drinker. (laughs) It's a drink that you drink so easy. Phil Collins. I have a feeling that you're going to like this very, very much. It's just a very delicious beer. Phil Collins beer. ended all of his songs with Phil Collins. That's the thing. Rappers I say their names all the time. Phil Collins. <laughs> Dude, the, the rap singers do it all the time. That's true. And nobody nobody bats an eye. What about at the end of all these all these great epic 80s metal anthems if we would have just gotten Dio <laughs> Mega Death <laughs> Yeah I'd be okay with that Yeah that wouldn't hurt Judas Priest yeah. What if though just for fun the producer had come in like you know DJ Khaled and just been like Rick Rubin <laughs> like if, if that were a back like if that were a Beastie Boys album yeah. where just suddenly Rick Rubin came in that would work <laughs> could have yeah I think you're gonna enjoy this beer it is just a nice delicious not too heavy yeah. duty Judy kind of brew it's not a cloudy it guy it's sort of yeah. a clear beer it's one it of the clear beers you've heard about oh, yeah there's a clear in my beer. Now I'm crying for you, dear. <laughs> That's great. Isn't that nice? Yeah. It's like drier than I was expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it would be like super, super Yeah, because it you know? smells really fruity, but it's actually not that sweet. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of some stuff from Pretentious, honestly. Yeah, it does. It's got... Hmm. I'm okay with it. Oh, he's got that like fruit punch, but also citrusy mm-hmm. stuff going. Yeah. That's good, man. Yeah, I'm a fan. Good mm-hmm. job, Grayson. 
We like that, Grayson. You're He's a good boy. Good boy, Grayson. Just a good old good boy. boy. Okay. So, so Joseph Callinger. Tell me about him. So this is loosely based somewhat off of, of him. Uh, and he a naughty boy? <laughs> Joseph Callinger. Um, <clears throat> this is also... This is how I, I think um, Brent Hanley came up with the idea for the duality of the story mm. is Joseph Callinger's actual life. Because Joseph Callinger uh, killed because he said God told him to, Uh-oh. and he forced his 12-year-old uh, son to be involved in the killing, and he oh, also shit. killed one of his teenage sons who tried to turn him into the cops. This so, sounds like this movie. Yeah. So uh, you hear all that, and you go, man, what a bastard. But then let's rewind a little bit and hear about Joseph Callinger's growing up life. So I Joseph, bet it was real normal and it good. It was real normal. Yeah. So his parents died when he was like seven. Okay. He was adopted by uh, a couple who uh, the the father was extremely abusive. I uh, Trigger warning. If you don't like to hear about child abuse, this is gross. So his father would make him kneel on jagged rocks. He would lock him inside closets. He'd make him eat his own shit. Okay, that took a turn. These other things were just kind of like, that's kind of bad. Right. That took a twist. He would make him harm himself. Jesus. Mm -hmm. He would burn him with hot irons, whip him with belts, and starve him. So some of that actually comes into this. That's a hard knock life. Yeah. When he was nine, he was sexually assaulted by a group of neighborhood boys. Good God. Unrelated to his abusive dad. Because he didn't have enough going on right. at home. Uh, the real sad part that got Yikes. me was that in ninth grade, he got into theater and he really wanted to become a playwright. And he was he happy. He was happy for a quick moment. Aww. And then he got married and had kids and he didn't know how to raise kids except the way he was raised. So then he was extremely abusive. And that's when one of his sons went and turned him into the police. And then he mur- he took out a life insurance policy on all of his sons. And then two weeks later, his son disappeared. All right. So he was frugal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The he man knew how to count a dollar. Yeah. But so uh, you can see the inspirations there, obviously. Like yeah, I, I, wow. I didn't want to go too in depth about all of his stuff, but like that, you know, uh, th- he would take his teenage son and then go and say, like God said to abduct that person. And what was his reasoning for why he needed to kill these people? God told him to do it. But was it like they were demons, like it's presented in this movie? Uh, I didn't. I didn't find like there is, uh, in fact, a book that was going to be written about him, but then there was the lawsuit about a book about Manson or something, which made it so that serial killers couldn't make money off of their crimes. And I think he backed out of the book deal. I'm, I'm going to that. say that's probably a good law. It is a good law. I'm yeah, going to yeah. say that's probably a good, the, thing. the woman who was writing the book at the time had already spent like a hundred thousand dollars of her own money researching oh, the book. So that sucked. She yeah. spent, she spent like $1,200 a month on, on phone calls. And that reminded me that, uh, the prison phone call industry is predatory and terrible. Wow. You can't just call a prison. You have to call, to their their company that then charges five dollars a minute or twenty dollars a minute or whatever they want to charge for you you. yeah to be able to talk to your nephew who got put in jail for weed or whatever that sucks yeah 
ridiculous. Anyway, wow. so she had spent a bunch of money trying to make the the book, and and I think it would I would be interested in knowing more. Uh, and I'm sure there is some some more information out there, but it wasn't readily available. Man, so this is definitely a big inspiration yeah. for how this movie goes. But you know what's the biggest inspiration, Ben? What the Bible? The B I B L E. Uh huh. Basic instructions before leaving Earth. What do you mean? Is there somebody in there what is maybe tempted to kill people? Um, a feller named Abraham. You may have heard of him, <laughs> Father Abraham. Yeah, he had many sons. He many did. sons had Father Abraham. That's true. And he took one of them, tied him up, and was gonna kill him because the voices in his head told him to. Told him to. And then the voices in his head said, "Nah, look at that ram over there. Just kill that instead." J slash K. You gotta kill something though. Yeah, something seriously though. Something's gotta yeah. die. So I I wanted to talk about that just a tiny bit so that well, it's we definitely could, in this movie for yeah, sure yeah. it's all in there uh so that we could get into the history of that one it comes from a a Greek myth and in the Greek myth Phyrexis and Hella Hella they are kids and they are being uh, they're being used as a sacrifice. And they're saved by a ram. Okay. All right. Uh, well preceded the Abraham story. That's number impossible. Two, Everything in the Bible is original. Yeah. Number two, uh, a large number of scholars believe that the original probably was Abraham sacrificed his son Isaac. Oh. And then it was changed later because that was distasteful. It's a little dark. Yeah. It's a little grim. Yeah. Audience reaction, yeah. no good. No Change the end. Yeah. So. They hate rams. The, the thing is, the Bible is not, like, that's not the only time in the Bible somebody offers a child sacrifice to God. Or the and, only time God tells people to kill other people. Yeah, oh my gosh. Happens God tells people to kill other people a lot in the Bible. But specifically, Jephthah says that he will offer unto God a sacrifice the first, th- the first thing that comes out of his house. And of course it's his daughter, not a sheep or something. And then like he puts it off for a little bit and then eventually sacrifices her. Though the people who want to make you believe that human sacrifice isn't in the Bible pretend that she became a nun and that the sacrifice was her becoming a nun instead of him actually killing her. But he killed her. But he killed her. Oh my. So this, the thing is that religion feeds off of mental illness yeah it needs mental illness it needs the people who will believe without any sort of like evidence it needs the people who will take it further who will say not only are all those things true but god's talking to me right now I'm and he's saying updates on this. the hour every yeah. hour I've yeah. got a direct line of communication. It's it's the weird... Okay, so, like, that was one of the things that dro- drove me to Mormonism was their modern-day prophecy, because I was like, well, if, if God ever talked to anybody, why did he stop talking? Right, yeah. Right, because... Yeah, it, there's so many things like that. Yeah. Yeah. No more burning bushes. Yeah, so why why would he stop talking? And, and the Mormons were like, he didn't. He's got uh, prophets now. And now I'm like, yeah, well, they're full of bullshit and whatnot. <laughs> $100 billion. That's how much money... Wow, that's a lot of money. That's how much money they have. You know what? That could they fix say, a lot of problems. They say they spend a whole lot of it on uh, helping people. Spend about $40 million a year. That's not much out of that many billion. Oh, yeah. Like a dollar fell out of my pocket. <laughs> Whoops. Like that, that, that's kind of like I help people out. A dollar fell out of my pocket once. <laughs> anyway, fuck those people. Holy shit. But uh, the, point, the point is that, like, that uh, 
prophecy, the concept of prophecy is just accepted now. Like you look back on it and accept it, but you have to realize that when these people were talking, they were crazy people. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. even if you even if you don't think they are crazy, if you think they were right, when they were talking, the people they were talking to are like you walking down the street hearing somebody on the sidewalk yelling about something. Right. Yeah. You it's go. Who's this crazy asshole? Exactly. Yeah. So even if you even if you accept now and say that they were prophets, you have to accept that at the time they were crazy people. I mean, dude. It's it's like Pinkerton all over again. <laughs> we know it's one of the greatest rock albums Pinkerton of all time too. now, but when it came out, people didn't understand they it. Had no idea. Tired of sex? El I'm tired of Weezer. What? What? El Scorch No is more like That's it. That's what they said. I bet that was the Rolling Stone like review. El Scorch O. El, El Scorch, Scorch no. no. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, like uh, there there is like uh, and you know the the thing is that. Uh, People can buy into insanity. Like, very for easily, some especially reason, fucking children. Yeah, for some reason, we all have this, like, this desire for the world to be more fantastical, more mythical. We oh, want yeah. it to be. Yeah, totally. I mean, we've talked about it before. Neither of us believes in ghosts, but I'd love it if they were real. Be pretty sick. It'd be fucking cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. If, if haunted houses were real, it'd be fun. And if there were people with psychic abilities and That'd powers. That'd be great. And- I mean, scary, because then you'd be like, who knows what I'm thinking right now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it would be interesting. The world would be a bit more interesting and less mundane. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I understand you want that. I get that. But that that is kind of what religion is, is a way of like pacifying that feeling of like, so this is just it, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. and the thing is, is like that can all be... You know, crazy but good and fine. It can be good when, and fine when it's it's one person acting on their own. Yeah, and they're they maybe feel like they're receiving guidance about good decisions in life right. and how to and, be a good person. And, and they so never on. receive guidance that they think, oh, is that right to do? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas, yeah, whereas this movie this, yeah. and other real life examples that we're talking mm-hmm. about go into that thing where it's like, what if? Yeah. You just had this revelation where the voice in your head that you call God... Said, kill this person you don't know. They're demons. They're not even people. Yeah. You don't even have to feel bad mm-hmm. about it because they're yeah. not even human. Right. And that's essentially what happens to, to Bill Paxton in this movie yes. as the father of this... Uh, he's a single father of these mm-hmm. two boys, Fenton and Adam. Adam, yeah. And he receives... I, that, is, that is a very particular choice, those names, too. Because only one of them is biblical, yeah. and he's the one who follows him. Right. The other one, he has a, a name that actually would be more common in southern communities than right. Adam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I thought I thought about that same thing, yeah. too. I was like, that's an odd dichotomy of those uh-huh. two names there. Yeah. Yeah, Bill Paxton receives this vision from God, and he just completely doesn't even hesitate, just accepts his fact, wakes the boys up. Boys, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. He's going to get a list of seven names. Yep. God's chosen me to kill these demons and stuff. This, it's never I mean, even revealed like what happens with him. Like it, it, it's never revealed that he had just this psychotic break. Like, like, he seemed this, very well adjusted. It's and a stuff. it's a perfect time and circumstances for him. Uh, so we don't know what happened to their mom. Yeah, but we have to assume she she died or left. In either case, very stressful event. Uh, this is Bill Paxton. He's probably in his mid thirties. I think he's playing early thirties to late twenties. As like this young single father. I would, with, guess, I would guess early 30s. Yeah. Because yeah, Fenton's like 11 or something. These are the times when 
um, mental illness starts to present itself oh, in true. stressful moments and in your late 20s, early 30s. So he is experiencing this and bec- like this can happen with people with schizophrenia is that you, you have experience with schizophrenia up to the point that like it really starts to hit. So you, you aren't fully frightened by it when it actually happens. Like you've kind of had these experiences your whole life. And now when it's starting to hit as like a regular event in your life where you're hearing voices or seeing things that aren't there, you've already had these moments leading up. So most people in their first experiences with schizophrenia aren't exactly frightened so much as dumbfounded or like confused. Like this again, that that's the problem with, with, religion being wrapped up in mental yeah because then it, it can easily become like rationalized rationalized and and a joyful thing. a great yeah. thing like yeah. that's the thing is like if either of our heathen asses suddenly started talking to somebody <laughs> oh, that, yeah. that was in the room that the other person couldn't see it'd be like that person is not there go to a psychiatrist yeah either yeah. either of us go holy shit i need to go to the doctor yeah. right the fuck now because i know i thought i saw a person i was talking to them and you don't see them so yeah. that is a problem yeah clearly yeah. my brain is not functioning as it should mm-hmm. i need to go get help but the yep. thing is is if like if you're of the mindset that these things are all around us and they're right. invisible and if you get visited by one it's a rare gift yes then the psychosis like you said mm-hmm. becomes a joyous experience yeah and a blessing mm-hmm. oh man it's just a lethal combination because yeah. you're so, able to immediately explain away why you're seeing this shit and hearing this shit that nobody else can hear and you're i mean not to say that that uh, being a single parent is a purposeless existence, but I bet it feels like that a lot. It's gotta be tough. I can't. So imagine. he he's probably felt like alone, okay, so yeah. I I'm alone. I just go to work. I come home. I take care of these boys. That's it. That's the rest of my life until they are grown up. And now he's got a purpose. Yeah, to receive this special yeah. extra message of yeah. like I, I'm my life is going to amount to more than even what I have yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, and I mean they're happy before this. They're happy before. Yeah, they he, don't yeah. seem to be a dysfunctional. Yeah. Like, so he's he's not a fucking drunk or an alcoholic mm-hmm. or abusive. Like, yeah, he seems to treat the boys good. Otherwise, yeah. you know, which is why it's so surprising to Fenton, and also probably why Adam goes along with it so well because he's like, well, my dad's. Like, my dad's never been mean to me. Man, so. I love that moment in the movie where it's like, you know, he wakes up the boys and tells them about this vision. Fenton mm-hmm. wakes up the next day and he's like, what the fuck was this about? Maybe it was just a dream. Yeah, he hoping drops the, and that they it's over. And they don't mention it at yeah. the breakfast table. He goes and drops the kids off at school. And, and just mm-hmm. like, just with total, like, this is normal everyday conversation. He's like, hey, boys. Don't tell anybody about what we talked about last night. Uh-huh. And you're just like, fuck, oh, this is real. Nope. This really it's, happened. Wasn't a dream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dude. Oh, man. It's so grim whenever it reaches that part. It really is. And and then we, you know, like, taking notes for this was hard for me because, like, the story seems very straightforward. It's just guy goes crazy, starts thinking he hears voices, and then... Yeah, starts killing and his people this, that this he past and present narrative yeah. of like it's Matthew McConaughey telling the sheriff yeah. this story to reveal and Matthew McConaughey. We're assuming is Fenton, the one who didn't want all of this, yeah, to be happening. Yeah, and he's saying my brother Adam, the uh-huh. one who went along with it, is yeah. the, the God Hand killer that has been terrorizing. Right. And we do find, that, and that is true. Adam is a serial killer. Yeah, so <laughs> they're both serial killers. They've both grown up 
But one of them thinks he's killing... Okay, Adam's killing demons, right? Fenton's killing people. Yeah, Fenton's killing people because he got yeah. buried in the backyard for a week and went nuts. Yes. But then... Okay, so here's the thing that I think about this. That this the, the thing is that what seems like the twist at the end of this movie is that... Is that the dad and Adam were right. That's the thing to me that I yeah. took from this too. And, okay, and, but even, and even like while I was watching the movie, um, even before you reach the, the twists and stuff, like yeah. in the middle of the movie, actually it's not even in the middle. It's whenever um, Bill Paxton goes and drives for like 45 minutes to a county he's never been to. Yeah. Like he was reading a map. He said he didn't need a map or anything. Mm-hmm. He goes to that like nurse's house, knocks on her door and says her name. Yeah. And she goes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, is like right there, right when all this shit starts happening, he knows the names of these people that he's never fucking met. Okay. So it's so, right. But then again, you can look back and go, well, the narrative is being told by this fucking crazy guy. Yeah. So, the narrative is unreliable is what I'm saying. Yes. At the end, no, demons aren't real. The narrative tells us that they are. Because the narrator is a liar. Well, because the narrator wants to believe. He's he on this mission He wants to believe that the entire time he's been killing people from childhood, he's not been evil. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so do you even think, like, towards the end there, whenever he lays his hands on Powers Booth and sees that Powers Booth killed his mom and stuff, do you think that's real? I don't think so, no. So you think he just fucking Yeah, I think him? all those visions are fake. Like, I think they're all just delusions. Like the thing, he's seeing his his dad in this super stressful situation. He says that he saw every time his dad grabbed, he saw what his dad saw. So his dad never said what he saw. So they we can't confirm it. It's That's n- true. No way we can confirm it. So like the child believed, oh, they're each individual killers. The only one where his dad said exactly what happened was he killed babies, is what he says about the the older man, the second yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, He killed babies. So that's the one that we can maybe say, like, okay, a- um, Adam would know what his dad thought there, but the other ones he didn't, he no, didn't he never say. Said. So Adam just filled in the blanks. Hmm, that's and true. was just like, okay, like, this must be what he's seeing because he's my dad and he wouldn't lie. But it's showing you, too, that to these people that are involved in the situation, their truth is the truth. Yeah. You know, they really do wholeheartedly believe in right, yeah. what they're doing. And that, that is why Adam is a perfect example of that, is that he's raised in it. He's raised in the delusion. He doesn't have to even um, experience schizophrenia himself or dissociative identity disorder yeah. or anything of the yeah. sort, because he's ra- he's he believes he's right from childhood yeah and so that, he can't and be convinced that's the scary sad part of all this stuff too yeah. is, i mean how we were talking about you know again that perfect synthesis of psychosis and religion and what that can do to adults but then the really sad part of this is is like whenever you're talking about kids that are so impressionable and yeah. so wanting to make their parents happy mm-hmm. and be like them and do what they're doing yes i mean dude Adam, like eight or nine years old, like makes his own kill list. He's like, God told me to kill these people. Right. And Bill Pax is like, those are just normal people. He didn't uh, tell you that. And then Adam's like, yeah. I also fucking sad. I also wonder how true it is, actually, now that I think about it, that Fenton is a serial killer. Because at the end, like all that stuff is in Fenton's house. Yeah. But we know that was Adam's list. Mm-hmm. 
that we see at oh, the Oh, that's end. true. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Adam's list. It seems like he set up Fenton for all the murders he did, which is another indication that he's lying. He he knows oh, that he's not doing that. the right thing. He's come to that conclusion, yeah. but he's also convincing himself it is right. Huh. Like, Do you think it's possible that Fenton for, didn't grow up to be yeah, a serial killer? It's possible Fenton just, just grew framed up him. to be a normal individual. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. But that would make it even easier for Adam McConaughey to continue getting away with the crimes. It's yeah. to say, oh, this guy was the killer, and the killer killed himself, so it's right. over. And Stop now, looking for the God Hand killer. Yeah. And also the the wow, big reveal. Wow, about that. The big reveal at the end that he's sheriff in this other town. Well, and that's the thing, too, is like with him having that law enforcement background, he would know exactly how yeah. to frame his brother to make it look like he did it all. Uh-huh. The one thing that my huh. explanation cannot explain is what happened to the tape. Like why the videotape didn't show his face and particularly seemed to be covering just his face. Oh yeah, that did. That's happen, the didn't one it? thing. But I mean I, I forgot about the tape. That, I mean it could be coincidental. It could be. But that that is the real like sticky wicket. That's the real like spanner in the works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How did that happen? How did that happen? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, man, the whole thing was, like I said, kids being influenced by their parents and their religious beliefs and, and everything. If you just want to see how sad it gets, watch watch Jesus Camp. Have you watched mm-hmm. Jesus Camp? It's fucking sad. It's really fucking it's, sad. And, and again, mm-hmm. I, I grew up It's in, hard to watch that movie. It's very hard to watch. Yeah. And I grew up religious, but not like crazy snake handling religious, you know? Yeah. Like, we never... Though I would say that your religious upbringing is probably crazy to most people outside of this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, But, you know, at the same time, it's like, I knew other kids that, that went had to... had it worse. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that went to churches where they <laughs> spoke in tongues and yeah. fell down and shook and all this kind of yeah. stuff. And it's like... And you can see it in Jesus Camp and everything, too, where it's like, eight-year-olds should not have the... It, they should not be fucking speaking in tongues and no. feeling like God is talking through them and making him speak this language that they don't understand and all this shit. But they see it and they do it and they see mm. the acceptance of the community that it yeah. grants them and they see that it's this special blessing that you're supposed to get. Ugh. And they'll do it. They'll convince yeah. themselves that it's real. Yes, of course they will. It's yeah. fucking sad. Because kids emulate adults. That's what they do. Yeah. Um. The The thing that bothers me the most about that, like, the the churches where they get real like up and like run around and speak in, in tongues and stuff is that what they're exploiting is adrenaline. <laughs> they're exploiting the fact that you'll feel better if you start doing all that stuff, which is the truth of most people. If you start doing all that, you're gonna get a shot of adrenaline. You're gonna feel better, and then after releases endorphins, and it's then fact. afterward, when you leave, you're gonna feel worse, and you're gonna be like, I guess I felt better because I was in church. I need to go back and get yep. it again. Yeah, you're just making your body produce mm-hmm. its own natural drugs. The preachers and you know need that. Another hit. The preachers know what they're doing. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're not doing that because. They are feeling spirit. They're doing that because they know how to manipulate. So you're getting manipulated. But dude, I'll I'll even put it this way: like I remember there being times, um, like you know when I was when I was a kid, and you know maybe I I just gotten into like playing music and stuff. Uh huh. And I can't remember who it was. I can't remember if it was a member of my family or somebody asked me like you know they saw that I was getting super obsessed with guitar. That's all I want to do is play music and stuff. And it was like, what if God asked you to quit? Jesus. And that really, honest to God, entered my head, yeah. and it I became it became this. this like obsession in my mind yeah. of just like, oh my God, what if he did? 
What would uh, I do? What I do? I remember religious Sucks. mindset. The 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 scary thing about religious mindset is looking back on it and going, "No, I was co- fully convinced for a while." Well, I was so easily yeah. influenced when I was a kid, man. I was extremely, extremely easily yeah. influenced, like most kids are. Yeah. I don't think that's unusual in my case. Yeah, and also looking back on it, it makes me think like uh, most. In most cases, there's no reason to argue with a religious person. There's no reason to even have a conversation about it. No. They are unconvinced of anything you say. It yeah, doesn't right. matter what you say or how correct well, it's it is. It's no different than one of them talking to us. I mean, yeah. it's just yes, water off of that is back. true. Yeah. yeah. Though we have uh, proof of our <laughs> belief. Hey. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, th- this, is, this is really dealing with a lot of that religious ambiguity of that possibility that you're just crazy the thing is though that like i i (laughs) i experienced this just recently i experienced it pretty regularly i would say where so i was i was leaving my house and as i was walking out the door i thought oh i should grab my my uh hood or my um what do you call that thing you put on your head that keeps you warm? Twagging. There you go. There you go. (laughs) Anyway, so I should grab that. I thought as I walked out the door and then I was just like, whatever. And I just kept going. And then I got where I was going and then my head was cold. My ears were cold. And I thought to myself, like, you know, when I was religious, anytime I had that like inkling of yep. something, I would be yep. like, oh, I should do it then. Exactly. Yeah, same. I should do it. Totally the same. Uh, and then like there are times now where it's like, I should have done that. And I realized it's just your intuition. It's like, it's cold. That's all it is. Your ears are going to get cold. Probably. You should probably grab that yeah. cap You've over probably there. done this before. Yeah. Yeah. But like as a religious Person, it was grow, just man. like it's hard to grow. okay whatever it is like if if it comes to mind i must need to do it yeah it's yeah. that that still small voice that's what they call it that's what they fucking yep. call it and yeah you're right it's like usually it's just yeah i've done this before and my head was yeah cold. it makes the most sense it was 30 degrees yesterday it's probably cold <laughs> duh <laughs> but but again when you have that that inkling of I can receive voices in uh-huh. my head. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's is what it that becomes. If you followed your intuition so many times and it's been right, which it probably is because you're just thinking, oh, yeah, in the past I've done this. And in the past that's been successful. I should probably do that now. So your intuition reminds you to do this, and then you do it, and it works out for you. You're like, oh, okay, I really need to follow that voice. And then if that voice ever turns on you, say you have dissociative identity disorder schizophrenia any number of things that can become i mean that happens with people with bipolar where they're following their mood so they follow the mania they follow the depression so their brain says like you need to do this right now just get it done get it done go do it and you do it and then the depression says you should just probably sleep yeah all day and they do it because they're following that intuition because most of the time following your intuition is a pretty good idea because it's just your brain reminding you of things you already know. Yeah, it knows this pattern. Yeah. yeah, but once the mental illness steps in, it can become this thing that really guides you the wrong way, and then religion can exploit that. Yeah, they can exploit the fact that you you know that following your intuition works, and start to say like, doesn't this seem like your intuition? Doesn't this seem like the thing you should do? And then you're like, I I guess. Is it your voice in your head or is it mine? Yeah, exactly. And that's fucked up, man. 
That's fucked up. And like I said, just the way that, that kids will see that and join in on it to gain approval yeah. of their parental figures and stuff. It's fucking sad, man. Now, what do you... I, I, I really thought there was something interesting about the the axe and the gloves. Yeah. Like, the idea of, say, like, um, the armor of God, taking on the armor of God, like the breastplate of uh, righteousness or the sword of truth and all these things. Sure. Like, it's like he's he's arming himself and he believes that it's of God because there's just a light beam shining but on they're, it. But they're just ordinary fucking They're objects. just ordinary... It's just an axe and some work gloves. Yeah, and a pipe. Yeah, a and a pipe. Of, which he handles with such care and reverence. He and it's does. Like wrapped in a cloth yeah. and stuff. And it's like, this is just ordinary the pipe, shit. The lead pipe of God. Yeah, dude. <laughs> the Otis axe of God. <laughs> From now on, my answer to any time playing Clue is God with a lead pipe wherever. <laughs> yeah, anywhere. <laughs> Can't beat that one. Yeah, yeah that's, that's one of those things that I thought was really... Almost comical in the movie when he yes. starts finding these, these things because he receives this you know this word from God that he's got to kill these seven demons yeah. and that he's going to receive artifacts to do yes. the jobs with. It actually becomes more like the it becomes more childlike at that point where it's yeah. like yeah because you're thinking yeah. like he's getting a flaming sword you're right and like he a breastplate sees, and a he shield. has that vision of the the angel with the flaming sword. Let's and, talk about that for a second. Yeah. That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. He is underneath that car working mm-hmm. on it and through some. Some kind of kind of crappy CGI. It kind oh of yeah, morphs. But into I think that. it was supposed to look like that. I think they were going for kind of crappy That's and otherworldly, yeah. not looking right. Yeah, like, I like that about yeah, it. Me too. Like my first instinct was to go, "Oh man, it's that lame yeah. late '90s morphing CGI." Right. But then I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is a crazy person right. We're seeing it through his eyes." So it shouldn't look right. It should look yeah. kind of it's, fucked it's, up. It's it's the indication of the filmmaker to us that oh no, this isn't real. And in the middle of him having that vision, the camera pans out to just him stock still yes. underneath a car. Yeah. Everybody else in the shop is just doing their thing. Soundtrack stops. Yeah. It's just ambient noises of wrenches turning and shit. Mm-hmm. I love that shot. Yeah. Here's another cool thing about it too. Did you notice how it really specifically showed you what kind of car he was working on? No. What was he working on? A Mercury. Oh, right. The symbolism there being that Mercury uh-huh. in Greek mythology is the messenger. Yes. Very intentional. Very yeah. cool they put that in there. So he's the messenger. Like he's the one, he's received this command from God and yeah. he's the messenger going around saying like, you're a demon, you must be yeah. killed. Or, like or these I mean people the, are the angel with the flaming sword. He's also a messenger. a messenger, yeah. Pretty cool. That yeah, that is that cool. There. I like that's that a, a cool, lot. That's a cool, like Bill Paxton, he, he directed two movies, this and The Greatest Game Ever Played, which was a, a golf movie starring Shia LaBeouf, not Holes. Um, <laughs> that could have also been a yeah. golf movie. <laughs> yeah. Or a porno. Whoa. <laughs> Tim Blake Nelson in that would be interesting. Yeah. He didn't seem that shy yeah. about LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so he only directed two movies, this in 2001 and then Greatest Game Ever Played in 2005. I don't know why he stopped. No. I think he did a really he good job. He did a really this. good job. I mean, I think maybe it's just he loved acting. That's actually something that... I wrote down about him because I read this quote from Chloe Sevigny and I was just like, yeah, that that sounds perfect to me. That sounds like exactly how I want to remember um, Bill Paxson. And what she said was uh, they were on Big Love together for like five years. Oh, yeah, that's right. 
So she said, one of the less cynical jaded people I've ever met in the business. He believed in entertainment being transportive and transformative. He believed in the magic of what we can bring to people. Wow. So like, I, I think acting gave him the, like what he was searching for was entertaining people, making people happy. And acting gave him the outlet to do that more regularly. Whereas directing, a lot of directing is behind the scenes. Yeah, it takes so much yeah. prep work and, and stuff. Yeah. Acting's a lot more immediate. Uh, acting's a lot more immediate. So he, he got to feel like he was doing the thing he loved doing. Even though he, he obviously enjoyed directing, he wanted to feel it more often. He didn't want to have to be sitting behind the scenes for months figuring out how this movie's going to play out. He wanted to be like, okay, I show up on set, I do this. I show up on set, I do this. I show up on set, I do this. Like It's so much easier that way. So I, I guess like despite the fact that he did a great job with it, it just didn't give him the feeling he was searching for. I, I mean that, that's yeah. my only potential reasoning for it. He never really spoke about it, and, and he even talked about a potential for frailty too and stuff like that. So, and I, I know he was working on something near the end. I'm not sure if he was going to direct it. He was going to produce it. He Brent Hanley was doing an adaptation of a Joe Lansdale novel called The Bottoms that he was involved in and was thinking of directing. And this was around 2014. He died in 2017. So, eh, like, he may have directed one more thing. I don't know. He did a great job, though. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. What do you think about his performance in the movie as well? I think it's one of his more um, subdued yeah. performances. Yeah, because usually had, when we think about Bill Paxton, we're thinking yeah. of, game over, man! Yeah, he like actually... Real over-the-top characters. even says in the director's commentary, uh, in some particular scenes, he think he overacted. Wow. Yeah. I think he's like, pretty downplayed in this, Exactly, but, and that's the thing, is uh, directing himself, he had to rein himself in. Oh. So when he was reining himself in, he was like, okay, so I should be way more subdued in this, like, to play this role. But again, maybe that's why... He didn't want to direct anymore because he was like, I don't want to think about that. I want to show up on set and say game over, man. Yeah, be like, fucking crazy. Yeah, Bill Baxter. Yeah, yeah. because compared to a lot of his other roles, I mean, Near Dark mm. and Aliens and all yeah. that other stuff, this is very way more subdued. subdued. Yeah. I think he does a very good, very convincing job. Yes. And I even love how, I mean, he's so stoked that he received this vision from God, but at the same time, he's not completely manic, no. ridiculous, over the top. That, that lunatic like, like even when he's like swinging the axe the first time he uh, kind of hesitates you yeah, know that's true it's like he sort of doubts that he's doing the right mm -hmm. thing but he feels conviction to do it and right. i think his performance really shows that i mean the most insane moment is him reacting when he has to kill somebody like he kills that sheriff and he's that's how he characterizes it is I've never killed anybody before. Yeah. And like the way he's oh, talking yeah, about it yeah, and stuff. Yeah. It's, like, it's after and, like Fenton is like Yeah, and Fenton's like, I've seen you kill tons of people. Or like, I've never killed a person. I've never killed, killed a person. I've killed demons. I think and he that's says where like you, I've elim uh, destroyed them or eliminated them yeah, or something like that. Yeah. That's that's where, it, to me, like my ears pricked up and it was just like, oh God. Like, he he's, doesn't believe he's killing people. He really doesn't think he's a murderer. Like, he thinks he's innocent. Yeah. He feels innocent in his heart. And that's why I wrote inscrutably until seconds ago, uh, age and accountability at the top of my paper and then had no idea what I was going for. <laughs> so the boys can't be accountable for this stuff, right? 
Like, no, they, you cannot hold them accountable. Like the oldest boy is Fenton and he's what? 10, 11, yeah, 11, maybe. Yeah. They can't be held accountable for this, but can he even like it's clearly mental illness and he clearly feels like it's right. And he clearly still has an idea of right and wrong. It's a super warped morality. That's true. Because yeah, killing demons, not wrong. Not killing wrong. Killing people, wrong. Wrong. Yeah. yeah. So, like, the the fact that he he seems so conscious of it, like he seems conscious of the the fact that he is putting an axe into what looks like a human's head. Like as you said, he he the first time he doesn't like he's he has a little hesitation, but after that he's convinced of it. But then when he has to kill the sheriff, that's the moment where it's like, to me, it all becomes so muddy because it's like, oh, he's like, like to him, this is a murder in comparison to the things that were done before. Yeah. I, that insanity is is just so perfectly played, I think. So yeah. perfectly well I think well he does a great job in yeah. this, man. What do you think about the uh, about the kids and Powers Booth and McConaughey in them, too? Okay, yeah. So we haven't talked about... Yeah, Matthew McConaughey is amazing in this. He's great. He's fucking awesome. He, he plays a serious role really fucking well. He man. does. And this I is know one we of, just look at him, we go, yeah. all right, all right, all right. And we think about right. Cadillac <laughs> commercials and stuff. I know, but... Dude, he lays down some great he does. shit. And this this is five years after uh, Time to Kill, which was his first major like starring role. role. Yeah. So this is before he's the McConaughey we know from like you know, uh, True Detective and stuff. Like he's this is we we're in 2020. You talk about Matthew McConaughey, everybody's like, yeah, like fucking great actor Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, 2001. Actor. That's not that's not how people were thinking of him. They were no. thinking of him as the you know how to lose guy in 10 days and days and confused and yeah maybe he was good in a time to kill but like he's not really a serious actor yeah this definitely this is serious and he does a great job at it i think so too man i mean honestly i will say the choice of of making him very obviously crazy from the get-go i mean when he shows up at that sheriff's department at the first of the movie yeah you can tell like oh this guy's kind of fucked up yeah but it's then like that gets th- kind of explained away as it, as it goes. You kind of understand it. You're like, oh, well, that's why he's fucked yeah, up. Yeah, Charlotte was crazy. Right. But have you thought about how different of a movie this would have been if he would have seemed normal? Right. If he had just come in straight. Yeah. I don't, I don't know who the killer was. It might be harder for him to buy. Like, it might be harder for the FBI agents to actually take him seriously if he came in so... Uh, I don't know. You're right. I mean that that is an interesting play. Like, because if he had come in, I don't think he can though. Like, yeah. I think I think he is so fucked up that like, I don't know though. When we see him as sheriff, he is displaying some form. Of- Damn it! I, I'm going, I know. Right? I'm going back and forth on all this. I don't. Okay. I don't think you can be sheriff and be normal. <laughs> so like you have to have some sort of complex right you have to have some sort of ego or something I about so. yourself that yeah. makes you think you should be in, I charge. Should be in charge of this town yeah. yeah but also he's interacting pretty normally but it does seem like his um what it, the lady at the front desk at the sheriff's yeah. office it does seem like she's in on it yeah i got that impression too. yeah so i'm not sure how normal his interaction is there either Maybe he, anytime you talk to him, people are like, that guy's a weirdo. That's fucked up. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah. I don't know. But, I mean, in my head, it was kind of like it would have made the twist even mm-hmm. bigger. If, yeah, it really would have made it, like, hit better. Yeah, because, yeah. like, in the flashbacks, Fenton, who he is claiming to be, right. seems like the normal one. Adam seems like kind of the crazy one. Mm-hmm. So it would have further driven the narrative that, like, oh, you're actually talking to Fenton right. here when it's actually Adam the whole time. Yeah. I think it would have made that a little bit more of a reveal. That's true. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, so, I mean... Because there's no doubt he's fucked up. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there are some, uh, there's some bits I might improve. I, what do you think about the, the music? The I mu- think it's good. I think like it yeah, never stands out. It no. never like sticks out too much. It's always kind of just right. Yeah, I think it's appropriately creepy. There's a yeah. lot of like just weird, ominous... It's not even really like music per se. Right. It's just, just like, like weird tones. noise yeah. and tones. Yeah. Which I think fits this very well. Yeah. Um, especially during those scenes where, you know, it's the kids in the shed. And I mean, God, man, poor Fenton having to like Ugh. dig that hole in the backyard Jesus. all by himself and stuff. And then getting locked up in it for seven uh-huh. days. All that shit was grim. Yeah. And that soundtrack, I think, helped that along it did. very nicely. You know, it did. Like, it doesn't really stand out and, and draw yeah. attention to itself. But I think that's. Probably the way I would characterize this movie. It doesn't really stand out. The visual attention the same way. to itself. Yeah. Yeah. It, it visually isn't outstanding yeah. or anything. It looks like it could have been a made for TV movie. It's competent. Yeah. It's, it's fine. just not outstanding. The music, not outstanding, but right. Like everything kind of fits together. So for me, like this is a really good movie. Yeah. I think the kids did a good job too. The oh, kid yeah. actors. The kid I actors. They, were fine, man. they nailed it. Because like it would have been easy for them to be unnatural oh yeah like it's, it's a pretty crazy be, story it'd be hard for a kid to imagine himself in that situation but yeah. adam is so like gleeful to help his dad along yeah and buy into this narrative which is probably really smart directing it's probably just bill paxton being like okay uh, i'm playing your dad and you know you know how you are with your dad yeah well, whatever he wants to do bud. you want to be his best bud right yep and then fenton is more of the kind of like uh i'm seeing this from the outside this yeah is fucked up like I think the kid playing Fenton does a really good job mm-hmm. of being doubtful yeah. of everything that's going and those, on. And those kids are both still acting. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the kid actors have been acting for a long time. They're like, everybody in this has talent and, and really displays it. Powers Booth. Hey, that's Curly Bill. <laughs> Curly fucking Bill. <laughs> yeah, dude. Well, bye. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Another Tombstone veteran too. Him, yeah, him and Bill Paxton. Uh, yeah, Bill Paxton. He met uh, he met him on Tombstone. That, that's kind of why he decided to to bring him in. And same with Matthew McConaughey. They'd worked together on U five seven one. Oh, okay. So decided to bring him in. Uh, they brought in one kid actor in particular who was from uh, Tennessee, so they could have somebody who'd have you know an accurate Southern sort of accent because everybody else is a little all over. The two kids aren't very southern they try a little bit but not not too much i guess so now that bill paxton's got his accent. yeah he's authentic yeah. southern mm-hmm. sounding yeah. yeah i guess the kids don't really push it too yeah. much now that i think about it's it it's the the kid that's like t- the the uh kind of chubby chubby kid. kid that's talking to him yeah oh, he's super southern yeah yeah definitely yeah. huh okay let me ask you too uh did you see the twists coming at the end no I mean, the, not the, the first time i watched that, it at all he's actually adam and then the twist yeah. that he's the fucking sheriff um, I, I didn't see the twist that he's the sheriff coming at all. The twist that he's Adam was, I, I think there were some, maybe some indications, but it, it didn't hit my m- mind the first time I, I watched it. It was, it was just kind of like, I think maybe that's why they make him be a little weird 
so that like when you think maybe he's Adam or whatever, like subconsciously, it's just like folded into that weirdness. Cause like watching it through the first time, it didn't really hit. But then watching it through the second time, it's like, oh, these things are like obvious. I, I must have been catching them, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, the thing is too, is at the very end of the movie, I think those twists happen a little close together. They do. The third act seems to happen really fast. Real fast. Where it's like, I'm Adam all along. Also, I put my hands on you. You killed your mom. Also, I'm the sheriff. Like, <laughs> it's this really quick set of revelations that all also, seems to I love very you. fast. Yeah. Hmm. But, like, the thing is, too, is whenever he leads the sheriff out into the Rose Garden. Yeah. And the sheriff is like, this is more graves than the God's Hand killer right. killed. That also plays up the fact that, again... Maybe this is all real. Right. Because according to Bill Paxton, while they kill these people, everybody's going to turn a blind eye and right. not see so it. So they wouldn't see his. this as a killing streak or something. Yeah, because he's got like eight graves or something right. like that out there that he's never been caught for because... Uh-huh. But again, is it God turning a blind eye because it's a holy mission or is it he's the sheriff? He knows exactly yeah, how to evade a, being yeah. caught. It, the movie does a perfect, Pretty ambiguous. perfect job of keeping that ambiguity. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can watch it. Like, whenever I watched it, I watched it and uh, thought back, and I was like, oh, my God, it was all real the whole time. Right. He was getting away with it. He saw the things that these people were doing. He knew their names. Yeah. Like, as soon as I finished the movie, I was like, oh, shit, it's all real. Uh-huh. But then, as we've been sitting here talking about yeah. it, you're like, yeah, but he's mental, and he's telling yeah. the story. It's fake. Yeah. You can really see it either yes, way. You really can. Which it's makes this very rewatchable. rewatchable. Yeah. You know? it's, it's a smart idea. It's I, kind of like a choose your own adventure. You can watch yeah. it with the idea of is it real or isn't it <laughs> on rewatches, you know, yeah. and see it either way. Very well done. Well, Ben, what do you think? Is it a good one? I think it's a good one. I think it's one of those that I would not hesitate to watch again. Mm-hmm. It's not ultra long. No. Uh, I wouldn't have minded if it was a little bit more brutal. Yeah, a little more gore. I wouldn't have minded that. Yeah, Yeah, just just to really clue me in on just how fucked up this situation is. I mean, it's tough watching him with his kids in the room axe-murdering people. Uh, But I think that would have been maybe enhanced more if we also just saw just how fucked up what these kids were seeing. I I think a lot of that has to do with Bill Bill Paxton... Because like he he didn't he hated filming the scene where he had to drag Finn down the stairs. I think he wanted oh, to really? protect the kids, yeah. so like not putting in the blood and gore and stuff. Like they just don't have to see that. Okay, it's all implied by like we don't even really see the axe hit heads and stuff. No, huh? Yeah. I think the most we ever see the axe hit anything is whenever Finn yeah. hits Bill Paxton with the axe at the end of yeah. the movie. And it does have great impact. It because does. Because at that point, you're like, oh, my God. We haven't seen it up to this point. Yeah. We've just seen the axe being swung. Yeah. And I love, too, that, man, that, like, whenever Bill Pax is laying down there dying, like, he brings Adam in, like, the chosen prodigal son. Uh-huh. And he whispers some shit to yeah. him that we never know what the fuck he says. Yeah. Love that it's not revealed. Yeah, me yeah. too. I think that's really, really, really dope. Um, so I wouldn't have minded if it was a little bit more brutal. Again, it's not visually stunning, but... I. I think that's just so it doesn't distract you or pull you out from right. the reality of the situation, yeah. you know? Uh, very cool, very effective movie. Like I said, I would totally watch this again. I think for me, this is probably about a... I'm going to hit it with a seven. Okay. I think it's the holy number, Seven. 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 I, uh, I agree with you on all counts that this is obviously filmed in a way to not stand out too much to try to let the story 
like be the forefront yeah, and the realness yeah and the, the realness situation. of the situation yeah. and the feelings of the situation and, and how the characters are dealing with it more than the visuals of it where it, it could have gotten you know we could have seen all of his visions or whatever it could have been way more of a visual feast but then it's like eh, what who's that for would have made it better yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I really, I think it's a good addition to Southern Gothic movies. It's, it's well within that, that genre and really, really interesting as far as the way that it, it deals with the possibilities in religion. Like the, the ambiguity makes it so that at the end, what it's either saying is like, it's really possible God's telling you to kill people and that some people are demons or that is absolute insanity. Do not listen to it. Right. And that's, that is so much the South is those two things butting heads. And so I think it, it really nails that. I really like it. I, I enjoy the movie. I think it's well acted. Matthew underrated. Grat, well, underrated. Very underrated. I'd say, I think you're about right. I'd say about seven and a half for me. Yeah. 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 Again, one of those ones that came out in what a lot of people think of as the dark yeah, ages the, of yeah. horror. Yeah. Came out in 2001. Uh, you know, uh, this is shit happening back then. Session man. nine, Ravenous. We've done these three within a month of each other. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I think they kind of redefined for me that late 90s, early 2000s horror where it was going before 9-11. I think yeah. so, because we did have this big glut of, of course, just all the ones that you think of when you right. think about late 90s horror. You think about right. all your urban legend. Mm -hmm. I know what you did last summer and yeah. stuff like that, that were kind of these like, maybe we can do the slasher giallo thing again. Right. Let's just try that. But then meanwhile, there are these other more introspective, mm -hmm. almost character study. Right. Horror movies. Like yeah, they're like way more character-driven than, like, m very simple stories, yeah. but more character-driven. I mean, to say this is a simple story sounds crazy, but it, it really is it really a simple is. story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there were definitely some good flicks going on back then, but they weren't the gigantic Yeah, hits. they just didn't, they didn't hit as much as, yeah, Scream 3 or whatever, which, right. which was a fun movie. It's okay. Yeah, yeah it is. Well, cool stuff, man. Well, you guys be sure to go on iTunes, rate, and review if you've enjoyed this episode. Helps us out a ton. I've not seen enough reviews lately. More views. Gimme them. Gimme them reviews. Them start off, start off your, your, your 2020 by making the right choice to review your favorite horror movie or You should podcast. make a New Year's resolution to... Review, dead, review lovely. dead and lovely. Yeah. It's a hard one to start with, it but is. you know, you once you get it. through it, it's well worth it. It's all easy. You're gonna have abs. Just if you give there. us a good review, you'll have abs. Guaranteed. Yep. Guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Steve, where can they uh follow us and At give us their money? Dead lovely pod on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. Dead and lovely on YouTube and slash dead and lovely on, on Facebook. Uh, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash dead and lovely. Head yeah. on over there, become a $5 patron. We're going to be doing a uh, uh, drawing this month, probably next week. I think so. Yeah. Uh, to determine what uh, Patreon suggested uh, movie we'll be covering at the end of January. So, super excited to see what it head is. Head on you over guys there, always become have a $5 patron. Or become a $1 patron yeah. or a $3 patron. Yeah, get you a shout out too. and get it all. Yeah. Or become a $50 patron if you want. I also would accept that. I'd be okay with it. Yeah. $50. I'll take it. You know what? If you want to pay us $10,000 a month, we'll take it. Be our guest. 
Be our guest. Put our podcast to the test. Blah, 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 blah. Well, anyway, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Be sure to stick around for next week. We are going to be talking about... Army of Darkness. It's going to be a great time, so you guys be sure to tune in. Well, you guys have been absolutely fabulous. We have been dead and lovely. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. hope everybody is enjoying their 2020 so far. So far, so good for me. Me too. So far, so good for Mm -hmm. you. You guys have been wonderful. We've been dead and lovely. Goodbye. Hello, darling. Nice, nice to, to see, see you. It's, it's been a long time. time. Who do you think had the most secretly filthy old school country Conway songs? Conway It's got to be Conway Conway, Twitty. yeah. That guy rolled nasty in a lot by of those songs. The, by the fear on your face, I can <laughs> tell you've never been this far before. <laughs> the fear bah, bah. on your face. <laughs> no, I added that. It does say like <laughs> by the quiver on your lip or something like yeah, that, yeah. but that's like what he's getting at. I think the real twist is, is that song's actually like from the perspective of Jack the Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> that's true I, and you know what i can guarantee you those prostitutes had never had their insides scooped out never been that far never before. been that far before <laughs> what's the uh she wants a man with a slow hand i want a man with, with a slow hand a lover with an easy touch <laughs> yeah my don't go mashing that thing my easy na- on it my nanny loves conway twitty and went to see him live i remember whenever i was like a uh, tween, I think, and she had this Conway Twitty uh, concert shirt and stuff, and I was like, okay, I never really paid attention to Conway Twitty, so one time I was riding with her and we were listening to Conway Twitty and that song about never been this far before came on, I was like, wait a second, is this dirty? And then I started listening to all the other songs, I was like, wait a second. So like, this I never, is about the sex, isn't it? I never it? brought it up to my grandmother, but I always hoped she would be like, that music you listen to, so I could be like, Conway Twitty, bitch. <laughs> but in fact, my grandmother never did because she listened to Conway Twitty, so she never said, like, don't listen to that. She's just like, yeah, whatever. Conway Twitty.